There are a thousand UFO sightings reported around the world every month. 90% of these sightings can be explained, but 10% cannot. Officially and unofficially, the U.S. military has been investigating UFOs since 1947. Their top secret goal is to find out what's behind these unexplained sightings. The Pentagon classifies them as unusual airborne anomalies, but a better term is X-Files. Join us now as Mac Wanwan and Commander Cobra explore these unsolved cases, UFO incidents that baffle even the U.S. military. This is Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. And now, here's Mac Maloney. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. What a show we have for you tonight. But first, let me introduce the members of the posse. Girls, get ready. Sit yourselves down. Start fanning yourself. Get your big box of Kleenex, big box of wipe, squeegee, and your lube because the very famous one one is here. Hello, girls. Hello, ladies. Welcome to the show. Mac, good to see you. Glad to be here, as always. Mm-hmm. How are you doing? Okay. What's going on? Across the puddle. Well, across the pond here, we had the the Women's uh, World Cup uh, soccer girls, and unfortunately, they lost to Spain 1-0. This is uh, the, the English team. The English women are called the Lionesses, and they were awesome, making it to the World Cup. It's like the World Series of soccer for any, any sex, male or female. And they made it all the way. It was a tough loss, and there was a... Uh, a woman soccer player. She, I should call it football because that's what yes. they call it. In the crickets. Uh, on the Spanish team, and her last name was Paredes. Who knew? There's a there's a, a guy who plays for the Pittsburgh Pirates. His name is Paredes. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, women's soccer. Even the crickets went to sleep on that one. <laughs> yeah. um, so, um, what was it? Oh, being, it was, was it really exciting? Was, it was being the played most there? Viewership of any sporting event. Like, yeah, it's crazy, man. It's a, that's it the was most crazy. effed up sport. It really is. It, Didn't some woman get kissed by a by the, the big uh, big shot of the league when they won? Yeah, he, he went was, over and he kissed he her in the mouth. Of the, uh, football mm. federation. Maybe it's more yeah. exciting than we think. Yeah. Anyway, on the side. And uh, he lays this big lip lock on this on this uh, poor player who wasn't expecting it. <laughs> he apologized, but nobody accepted the apology. There's going to be an investigation. Know, there's a little kerfuffle on it. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, say. Wow. <laughs> yeah, pictures went viral on that. This, this, uh, I got to just rest the gang, but let me just say this. Someone once said, soccer will never go be popular in America because you can't handle the ball with your hands. That's, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's right. Uh, you can't touch the ball with your hands. And so it's, 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 anyway, I think it's a pretty boring sport. I'm sorry. Uh, it is. Um, no cocoa tonight. Out saving the world from soccer, possibly. Or possibly try and tra- training Chinese pilots. That room is still floating around up there. But our national correspondent, Switchblade Steve Ward is here, Switchy. And it is great to be here tonight. Okay. I asked him, well, how, how are you doing? I am beyond wonderful. Okay. I, I asked him when he came on video if he had got a haircut. Doesn't he look a little suave tonight, a little more suave than usual? There you go, yeah. You know what the secret is? Tell us, Switchy. What's your secret? Cream. <laughs> oh, I took a shower. Took a shower. <laughs> That's all it takes. Also with us up there in Saturday New York. Our favorite good witch, Raven, is with us. Raven, how are you? Hi, my friends. Thank you so much for having me. We're all commenting. Uh, we're all 
looking at your hairdo. It's a week-to-week thing, seeing how it's progressing. Are you liking it better than you did a month ago? No. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hate it. Another week, another week. Okay. Yep. Check back next week. Okay. So anyway, so... Um, it's uh, a very sensitive thing, you know. It must it, be. Yeah, it happened to my wife too. Yeah, really. Very yeah. sensitive. It's like having a big zit in your cheek. You know, you, you don't get used to it. I wouldn't put it quite like that, but even if it's getting better. It's and like, I'm sorry for this. Like it. Sorry for this, Gazinta, but also with us in the studio with this UFO uh, mechanic, Al Ronaldo. Hello, Al. Mac. Hello, everyone. There's what, a joke in there. What's, what's happening with what's the big zit? But I don't know. Oh yeah, no, we don't want to go there. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, no, nothing's happened. How are the bees? Uh, bees are looking really busy. There, um, a lot of activity. I see a lot of pollen coming in. Um, I haven't really smelled the like. They haven't gone after the goldenrod yet, because okay. as soon as they go after goldenrod, the hive stinks. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. And uh, I haven't really caught on to. You walk by the hive sometimes. The breeze is just right, and you can smell the sweet yeah, yeah, smell. Yeah, That's yeah. why yeah. I swear to God, bears. You know, they say they, they have an it, incredible yeah. sense of smell. So you know, you, you're. A couple hundred feet away from the hive, and if, if a very light breeze comes your way, well, you get the whiff of real sweet. Like a bit can smell stuff like 10 miles away. Yeah, so no one, and they hone right in on it. Yeah. But if they've gotten in a goldenrod, it smells like dirty socks. Oh, so it's not really? it's not a good smell. Wow. It's really nasty. And most people... I wouldn't put that on the label of your honey. <laughs> most people that like start beekeeping, they don't realize this. So if their bees get into goldenrod, they'll walk by the hive one day and go, oh my God, it smells disgusting. There's got to be something wrong in there. Hmm. There's, you know, foul brood or there's some kind of, you know, sickness or illness in the, in the hive. But once they cure it and once they yes. do everything with it, you'd never know. It's, it's taste and smells fine. But while it's processing, it really oh, does not smell good. Right. It is amazing what they do. It is. You're listening to A Minute with Bees on CBS Radio. <laughs> So, anyway, I no, think we should just go ahead and make this a, a beekeeping a beekeep, podcast. Why not? Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> we can play honey. But you know, honey it's a big deal here in the UK because of the uh, the focus on pollinators, whether oh. they be bees or uh, butterflies. Oh, butterflies also do it. Oh, if yeah. begins if it begins with a bee, we're all for it. Hmm. Okay. Bees and butterflies. Another joke there, but hmm. well, the other oh. day, and, and well, it was, it was actually a couple of weeks ago because I heard on the last show I said we had a big bee problem over there. Big one, big, big, big <laughs> two weeks ago. He sends me a video, and he's standing there, and he's what, were you, what was that? One of the cells in the in the one, well, one of the hive swarms. So just, just, you could you couldn't see him for all the bees, and they're like in a tornado. It was <laughs> yeah. really, and then they all weird. landed on a, a big juniper, and I went over, I suited up, and went over, and I just chopped the the branch off, and carried it over to an empty hive, and just dumped them all very unceremoniously, mm. dumped them into the hive, and covered it up, and said, "Well, that's it. If the queen's in there, they're going to stay." Mm-hmm. So then, like a week later, they did it again. Right, yeah. Another, yeah. and this one, they didn't go. They didn't do me the favor of doing it on a branch. They went on my post and rail fence. So there were there were like twenty thousand bees drooping off the rail, and I'm like, okay, I can't just bang that and shake them off into the hive. Go ahead. So go ahead. I, I went in, and Sue had a uh, a bushel basket that she uses to, in her gardening. Yes. So I grabbed this bushel basket. I suit up. I walk over and I put it on the bottom rail, and I just started scooping them into the basket. Did you, let me ask you this. Did you see a UFO? <laughs> no, they were new. I thought I saw God for a minute because oh, they, they, okay. they were not. This, this, this but I'm walking away with an entire bushel basket full of bees and there's renters in the houses nearby and they're yeah, looking look and they all went back in the house because they're the be- like, we want no part of this. <laughs> the beginning of a horror movie. <laughs> where the hell are we? Where are we living? Yeah, yeah. what's with this guy? This is crazy. But, yeah, I walked up the driveway with a bushel basket with about four or five pounds of bees in it. Right. It, was, it was very interesting. 
You got to send some pictures of that. Any different of me walking down your driveway with an eight-foot Christmas tree, if you know what I mean? And you're saying to me, don't drag it, don't drag it. <laughs> I got that one. Yikes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just another day on the um. So anyway, so um, coming up later on, our good friend Matt Malley is going to be joining us. Rock star, retired rock star from the Counting Crows, but very much into uh, UFOs and the paranormal and stuff. I was a good guy to talk to. And uh, Switch has a report uh, coming up. And um, what I was going to say is that we, uh, Mac Maloney's, Military Exile Show are going to be appearing at the Exeter, New Hampshire UFO Festival uh, this Labor Day weekend. Um, so it's probably right around the time you hear this show. Great. It's a great take. If you're in the area, just go down and see what's going on in Exeter on this weekend. Everyone was like into UFOs and there's a lot of – there are like people walk around like in men in black and stuff and all the restaurants have UFO burgers and stuff. The town really gets into it and it's a nice little place. And uh, we're going to be wrapping up the show. Alien dolls for sale. Yeah, yeah, everything. The whole town really goes all out. Yeah. It's a big deal. Yeah, it's it's funny. and um, Very well supported. We're going to uh, close the show, close the – we're going to be on uh, Sunday from 3 to 5. And um, we're going to be joined by Juan Juan and hopefully Raven on Zoom. Right, guys? Mm. Hopefully. That'll be fun. That'll be great, yeah. And (laughs) what I was thinking on the way up here, and it's probably too late to think it now, but – if we had had a little more time, it would have been funny to just do the show. You know what I mean? Just do the show. Because um, our friend uh, Brian Eno, not Brian Eno, uh, is going to – he's not. He's always up there. He, he always does his show, you know. Yeah. And they're not there this year. So oh. it would have been funny to do the show, but I don't think we have enough time to, to work that out. But anyway, we're going to be presenting um, – our presentation is um, uh, Aliens, Asteroids, and AI, Three Things That Will – end the world okay so we're going to end the show on a high note telling you know one of these three things and things are going to end life on earth okay so that's the exeter ufo festival you'll get your tickets i think you can pay at the door it's always a big crowd always a very enthusiastic attentive crowd so we're looking forward to it there'll be food out there and the yeah there's always food yeah. yeah there's always there's always lots of stuff going on there's, you know, there's even a, a trolley that you can sign up for that'll take you to where the Famed uh, incident at Exeter happened. Exeter incident, yeah. And uh, you, you, you see, I can imagine the people that own the house, you know, oh. every Labor Day weekend, they got to sit there and watch these tour buses come every half mm-hmm. hour or so, and people point in their backyard and say, Let me pee. that's where the uh, spacecraft landed, and that's... <laughs> They're probably getting a VIG, you know? Well, you know... Uh, 10%. Anyway, but talking about the part of the world, where we, oh, first of all, let me go to Switch, okay? <clears throat> he looks like he had a healthy breakfast this morning. Switch, uh, once again, shout out to your special effects there, which is Mothman. I'm looking over your shoulder. It looks weirder every week we see it. Yeah, his name is Norbert. Yeah, I could just, just hired him. Norbert. Wow. Norbert, yeah, he's the one that shakes the uh, blanket in back here. Right. <laughs> the second time tonight. So it be the cats back there shaking it. What the, oh, there you go. Put those they, cats to work. They, I, was, I was doing a podcast one time, yes. and they were climbing up the... Uh, <laughs> really? That's creepy. Yeah, the curtain. So uh, they can climb anything. Cats can climb anything. Yeah, right. It's getting <laughs> back down. That is sometimes a problem. Switchy, what did you have for yes. breakfast today? I went to Tudor's Biscuit World this morning. Yes, I had the big tater. Big tater <laughs> is a bunch of diced potatoes smeared with gravy, scrambled oh, eggs, and bacon, oh, and hot black coffee. Oh man! Wow. And a biscuit on the side. Yes, that place is amazing. Every time you talk about it. I just start drooling them going. I got to find this place. No tips, like, right? I was, if I was in the U.S., I'd be doing a road trip out there. 
There you go. No, no, they don't. No, no tip cups. No, no tip cups. No provisions really. yeah. to give the ladies a little extra for their service. Wow. Wow. Oh. You know, <laughs> maybe they take it in other currency. You know, we don't know. I don't know what if it occurs. I thought I had the big tater once, but it turned out it wasn't. You Watch know, it. Was, uh, <laughs> it could have been a little tater. <laughs> it was a false alarm. Okay. Well, now that we're talking about this part of the country, Massachusetts is a very – we're in Massachusetts. We're actually in New Hampshire right now. We're right over the line and exited New Hampshire. But, I mean, you could drive for about two minutes and you'll be in Massachusetts and run the north shore of Massachusetts. Um, but Massachusetts is a state that is um, – it's old, you know what I mean? It's older than you know most states because it was one of the original 13 colonies, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and there's a lot of old buildings, a lot of old structures, a lot of like kind of haunted houses here. Um, and somehow we came upon a list, Raven, is that right? The most haunted, 20 most haunted places in Massachusetts? Yeah, I found this cool little list as I was going through some mm-hmm. other research. And <laughs> so I thought it would just be fun to just kind of go down and just read them. Sure. Um, spoiler, a lot of these are in Salem. Um, oh, of course, yeah, Salem, uh, Mass, so, which is about half uh, hour south of us. Instead of a top 10, we have a top 20. Okay. Um, so number 20 is uh, Gallows Hill. That is in Salem. Um, it's it's known as the area that was chosen to um, hang the uh, convicted witches, mm-hmm. but I, I don't believe it's ever actually been confirmed because, as I've mentioned numerous times on this show, record keeping back then was very, very bad. Right. Um, but it is said to be haunted, so that's pretty cool. Mm. Um, we have number 19, uh, Haunted Derby District. That's also in Salem. Um, it's a really cute little downtown area, and there's tons of shops and mm-hmm. beautiful houses there, and there's great brunch spots, and it's also haunted. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never had any issues there. I feel very comfortable there. Um, I think that's where the little lighthouse is, too. And it's oh, super okay. cute. Yeah, yeah. It's just a great area. But um, I, it looks like they're talking about one specific um, building, which is the Derby District. Mm-hmm. Um Raven, if a place is haunted, that doesn't necessarily mean it's haunted in an evil way, does it? Oh, no, not at all. No. no um, it can be haunted with, you know, good spirits or bad spirits or a mixture of both. We, right. should, we should just it jump in here. It depends on what you got going on. We should just jump sure. in here and say uh, that Salem Mass is where um, the Salem witch trials were held. Okay, back in when was it? 1600s, I'm going to say? It's yeah, be. 16, what was it? 1662? Okay. 52, something like that. But downtown Salem, around Halloween, Salem, Massachusetts, is unbelievable. It's oh. it's it's the party that never ends, you know, and um, and a lot of the places where these people were executed, and I know one of the, at least two of them, instead of uh, hanging them, they um, they made them lay down. They put huge boulders on them until yeah. they pressed you know, them. Until yeah. they, you know, it's really very very um, uh, you know, horrible ways to go, especially in the name of religion, which made it even worse. But um, uh, but but everything seems to gravitate to. The, town, the city of Salem, Massachusetts, and and they've embraced it. I'm looking at it like Roswell embraced it. You know what I mean? You go down there, and there's just so many places that kind of are into this, and some really like weird churches and stuff. I mean, they're the real deal. Yeah, some of the witches and stuff are really you know into it. But anyway, I mean, there's witches that still ply their trade in mm-hmm. Salem, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. All right, now I'm at number eighteen, and I whoever laughs first is um, responsible for, let's see, what do I need? Mm-hmm. Um, is responsible for sending me snacks. Let's just say that. She say so snack? number 18 oh, is bunghole liquors. <laughs> Nobody laughs. Go ahead. Um, I didn't know that this was uh, a haunted location. Apparently it used to be a funeral home. This is also in Salem. This is um, wow. down 
by like the Derby Street District area, and it's just a little corner store, like a uh, little. Oh, what are those called in the city? They have them. I can't think of them. Bodegas. 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 Yeah, and it's it's called Bunghole Liquors. Only in Salem. <laughs> do, do they want TP for the? Yeah, yeah. What do you have to pay? They call that today. Yep. Yeah. Uh, number 17, we have Cinema Salem. Um, and that's just, you know, kind of speaks for itself. Um, but apparently that is something where, um, when things were being filmed, they were, they were seeing things and they've had psychics look into it. Mm. Um, pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, number 16, we're still in Salem guys. Okay. We have, uh, in a pig's eye. This is a restaurant. Um, and I guess basically uh, after the, which trials ended, people that were living there tried to just, like, wipe their hands clean of everything and just, like, overnight forget it. So yes. they started to open up, like, restaurants and pubs. Um, and this was um, this was something that had opened up um, at, at some point uh, after after the trials ended and, you know, yep. they, they killed the people that they did. Um, and so this kind of holds an energy, I guess you could say. Um, but that's what it's called. It's in a pig's eye. I'm not sure where that is. I haven't heard of it. Wow. So I guess it's in a spot where I haven't been. Okay. So it's a place that's still open. Yeah. From yeah. what I can see, it looks like it's still open. So wow. yeah. how many um, witches were killed on that faithful night? Was something like 17? I, I think some so. crazy number. Yeah, yeah, I think 16 or 17 in all. Yeah. It's something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yep. Um, Outrageous. But you know, it, it was yeah, just stupid. Insane. I mean, it was just their ways of, uh, you know, someone's house got hit by lightning. You're automatically a witch. You yeah. know, and they're gonna they're gonna kill you. You know these yeah. kind of puritanical people. But uh, go ahead. Unbelievable. Um, mm. Okay, number fifteen, we have Proctor's Ledge. Um, this is also in Salem, and this is another spot that was um, suspected to be where some executions took place. But again, it's really not confirmed either way. I mean, it could be it could be you know neither of the places that I've already mentioned. It could be somewhere else completely. Um, but it, it does hold you know that lore. Um, and, and it is a very eerie spot to visit. It's very pretty, though, I will say. It sounds um, like it's come, it so came out because of the, the, the Salem Mass Chamber of Commerce wrote this, maybe. Because I want to go now. <laughs> Next, please. Well, we are finally moving out of Salem. Okay. <laughs> so we're at the Hoosack Tunnel. Um, this is in western Massachusetts. Okay. Um, and this, I guess, um, it there was a horrible crash that happened there. Mm -hmm. um, so... Kind you know, people went for for their little, for their little, you know, probably the first train ride ever since this was built in 1851, mm. and it ended up having a um, a very poor outcome. Um, and so the tunnel and tunnels in general are are pretty, pretty yes. eerie. I mean, you walk in and you're immediately like completely shrouded in darkness. So, so. there's a train crash in the tunnel. That is how I am reading this. Well, um, people killed. Let's see. Like yeah, they... uh, 220 people died. Oh, sounds like the MBTA on a Whoa. bad day. Hang on. Yeah, well, okay. not good. To the transit. Uh, and even some miners had died in there too um, because they tried to uh, mm. restore it and there was an explosion. So mm. maybe let's stay right. out of Hoosack Tunnel. Take the bus. Western Massachusetts. Next, please. Uh, now we're at Fort Warren. We're at number 13, Fort Warren. Um, this I've heard of, yep. Yeah, uh, so this is... This was back in 1862. Um, There's a traveler that was coming from South Carolina. Um, she was going to save her husband. I know this story. I've heard of it. Mm -hmm. um, and she was going to save her, her husband, um, but because he was a Confederate soldier, they locked him up. Um, so she tried to be sneaky about it and um, get him out of the prison. Um, and she got busted. 
and let a bunch of prisoners free in the process. <laughs> These people just kind of went William Nilliam on the state of Massachusetts okay. back in the yes. day. <laughs> wow. Oh it's, we're in a fun state. This is top 20 haunted places in Massachusetts. I hope the beachcomber is in one of them. Wouldn't that be funny? Um, Okay, so number 12, we're back in Salem, guys. Okay. Uh, Salem's first church. Um, This is now a restaurant. This is uh, now the Rockefeller, Rockefeller, Rockefeller's restaurant. Uh Um, And it was, it was the original home to to Salem's first church. Um, And it's built over ancient tunnels that were um, often used back in, back in those days where, you know, people did uh, things that were, very illegal and would probably well, still be illegal today, like murder. Oh, murder um, is still legal. Insane. I would hope that those tunnels aren't there anymore. But yeah, that smug- would be really smuggling cool was to look probably at. going the on. Smuggling. Too. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. The for town sure. I live in here in the UK is noted for the smuggling operation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More like, than anything else. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Got to get on the map somehow. Right. Yeah, exactly. Big time smuggling. Yeah. Next, please. If, if anybody's right. watched Poldark, the series Poldark, there's yes. a, a number of episodes that uh, talk about that. Smoking operation in the Cornwall area. Once again, another joke. Next, please, right? Uh, we're at number 11. We're at the, I'm not sure how you say this. Maybe you can help me. The Lyce- Lyceum Hall? Lyceum Hall. Lyceum, yep. Lyceum, Lyceum. Hall? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and this is, it's now a seafood restaurant, um, but it's where Alexander Graham Bell uh, made the world's first long distance phone call. Wow. Huh. Ooh. Hmm. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I, I mean, uh, that did. Well, happen. he was down, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I think that's where he started the phone, right? In Salem? It was somewhere down uh, in that area. That I don't know. My history does not um, – my history lessons don't really know things that actually matter, so okay. I'm not sure. Um, but, yeah, it's where the first long-distance phone call was made. That's pretty cool. Maybe he reversed um, the charges. What was he calling? He's calling someone. He's calling home. I'm calling home. Yeah. But they had no phone. <laughs> anyway. This is uh, Lyce- Lyceum. That's hard to say. Lyceum Hall. That was built in 1830, um, and it was used for you know lectures and seminars. Mm-hmm. Um, but – it sorry okay <laughs> so many people believe that bridget bishop haunts the grounds there um she was one of the um executed persons from the salem witch trials yep, yep. and apparently her soul hopped on over there and just kind of hangs out number 10 murphy's restaurant and pub oh my there. god you guys i've been there what's the name of this murphy's murphy's restaurant and okay pub. you're yep. never gonna guess where this is uh tell us it's in Salem. <laughs> <laughs> I do kind of remember being there. Um, and this is um, this is actually right by where the um, the cemetery is, mm-hmm. um, which is called the Old Burying Point Cemetery. Um, you know, I would say that maybe this isn't haunted, and maybe the maybe the spirits just fancy a pint every once in a while. So mm. I'm I'm gonna say sure. that this this doesn't deserve to be on this list. Okay. <laughs> Nineteen. Just because you're on the other side doesn't mean Top you didn't have a good time. Haunted places exactly. in Massachusetts. Go ahead. All right. Now, this one we all know. We have the Bridgewater Triangle at number nine. Um, oh. And for, for very, I feel, obvious reasons, um, we have the Hockamock Swamp. Uh-huh. Uh, I think Lizzie Borden's house falls in here. Close to it. I'm pretty sure. Fall River. It's very close. Uh-huh. Um, we have the Puckwudgies. There have been UFO sightings. Yep. And it's just supposed to be, um, I would say, like, kind of similar to, like, the Pine Barrens, but instead of, a fo- like, a dry forest, it's a swamp version. Right, yeah, um, yeah. Where it's just an overall unsettling place. The, the creepiest story about that place, and, man, when was this? This is going back 20 years anyway, where people who live in, living on kind of the edge of it, would see a young girl on the on just on the wood line, just on the tree line, like waving yeah. to them and come and help me and stuff like that. And then they'd go into the woods and there's no one there. 
very creepy stuff I, goes on there. I listened to a podcast where the hosts are in, like, they live in the um, Bridgewater Triangle, mm. and one of the girls said she was driving to work the one day and saw that, and it it was like she saw it because she was in traffic because multiple people saw it and oh, wow. stopped to try to like to run after kid. this child. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like, and that was it. There yeah. was no other information. Like, n- like people had reported it, and the, like nobody followed up on it because it's such a common thing that people are just like, eh. yeah, like, creepy. You know, there's nothing we could do. Creepy. Uh, next, uh, very creepy. Then number eight, we have the Houghton Mansion. Houghton. Houghton. Okay. Where I don't know it? if I'm saying that right. I apologize. That's okay. Um, and so the Houghton Mansion, um, this is home to uh, North Adams Mayor. Um, okay. And the uh, Houghton Mansion was home to a 12 mile per hour car accident. Oh, that can hurt. How's that hurt? Obviously, since somebody somebody did die in it. But it was built in 1980, um, and that was by North Adams's former mayor. Uh, his name was Albert Houghton. Um, mm-hmm. He lived there uh, for many years before he died in a 12-mile-per-hour car accident. How do you, how, I'd be pissed, too. I, I would know. haunt the place. It's not 112. How do, how do, you, do we know how he died, going so slow? It says, in 1914, Albert Whoa. invested in the family's first car, uh, oh, Pierce oh, okay. Arrow Touring Car. Don't know what that is. Um, this oh, listen. This luxurious car didn't last long. On the first day of August, uh, let's see. Albert, his daughter Mary, and the family chauffeur took a drive to test its metal. Uh, okay. Test During its brakes. Twelve miles an hour, the car tipped over and tumbled down an embankment. Oh my god! <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. It's awful to oh, laugh man. about that. That's really cool. Waste Next. of a good oh, PS arrow too. Next, please. Haunted house. We have the Hawthorne Hotel. Um, this is in Salem, um, and this is like the place to stay. Um, this is the type of thing where I have tried to book a room here multiple times because I, I want to know, you know, what's going on. Yes, yes. And you have to book like several years in advance. I bet. Yep. Um, it looks beautiful. It's super bougie. Um, and the cast of Bewitched actually, st- Bewitched actually stayed there while filming. Oh, really? Yeah, um, they filmed a bunch of Bewitches yeah. down there. It's pretty yeah. expensive, but like I said, if you know, if you book it enough in advance and you know, you have the means. Yes, yes. Like, you know, go for it. But yeah. maybe one day I'll, I'll make it out there. Um, th- and then be- number six, we have the Hockamock Swamp. That's mm-hmm. in um, the Bridgewater Triangle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's cross this one off, too. It doesn't really need to be in here because, you know, we all know. But <laughs> it's a uh, nickname, just in case anyone didn't know, is the Devil's Swamp, which is nice. super metal. I like that. Mm. Number Good. five, we have King's Chapel Burial Ground. Are we still in Salem here? Let's I'm telling see. you, Salem. We're going to send them a bill. The Salem Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> tourist board. I'm not sure where this is. Oh, we're in Boston, it looks like. Uh-oh. Maybe we can okay. just move Salem out of Massachusetts. This was founded in 1630. Um, hmm. And this is one of the yeah one of the oldest burial sites in all of Boston. Um, hmm. And it's so ancient uh, that some of Boston's earliest residents are laid to rest here. Really? Thanks. Wow. Uh-huh. Cool. Hmm. Number four, we have Joshua, the Joshua Ward House. Um, and we're back in Salem, guys. Uh, we... <laughs> um, so, uh, Salem Witch Hunter, uh, Sheriff George Corwin, um, haunts this house. It's a very creepy house. It's super, you know, super old, obviously, because it, you know, was, was there when the witch trials were, were going on. Uh-huh. Um, and this Dick, you know, Sheriff Corwin that hunted actual human beings for being, uh, witches Go is ahead. set to, to haunt it. Um, hopefully it's dilapidated. Hmm. Next, we have Lizzie Borden's house, which I figured would be on here. That's number three. Yep. That's down in Fall River. Um, if anyone doesn't know this story, she uh, 
is well, she wasn't accused. She was acquitted, uh, but she was well. She was accused of murdering her parents, uh, well, her dad and her stepmother with an axe. Um, with an, an axe. axe. Yes. Uh, the rhyme is incorrect, so I'm not going to say it. Okay. But I'm sure everyone knows what it is. But, but she was she was acquitted. Really, she was acquitted for murder. I didn't know that. Oh, she really? was found not guilty. Well, who did it? Who, who chopped up her parents? Like technically. Huh. I, I see. I always yeah. thought she got you know convicted and they chopped her up or something. Well, we'll have to they let Elizabeth Montgomery play her. Yeah, we're talking about Elizabeth Montgomery. She was also in uh, you know um, Bewitched, but she played mm-hmm. Lizzie Borden, and only because my mind remembers these things is the first time someone was fully nude on TV. On broadcast Ooh. TV, yep. so standing in a wash pan, pouring the water over to get the blood but, off. But it's all shadows. It's all—I mean—the way they do it and everything. Yeah. But uh, you know, yeah, I remember we'll, crowded we'll around the TV like, with all my little buddies watching it. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to do like see. an actual, you know, segment on you know the Lizzie Borden house and that mm-hmm. whole story because there's a lot of information that really gets kind of like ignored, and it will kind of make you question really? at the end, like I don't know, did she do this or not? But but let's just just, just for a second. Did you ever see Straight Jacket? No, with, go ahead. Uh, um, oh come on, uh, Diane Baker and uh, famous actress Mommy Dearest, um, Joan Crawford. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that was another axe wielding thing where you see you see the head get lopped off of kind of in the shadow. But but sure it was based on Lizzie Borden. But why yeah. would why would you think why Raven? Because I you know just always thought she just murdered them because they were very puritanical and. So there are actually other suspects that um when they I, I i only remember like so much of it just because it's been a while since mm-hmm. i've like read about the case but one of them i want to say was her uncle which would have been her her father's brother okay he was a suspect because the whole family was sick and there was something about him dropping off medicine because everyone in the family was sick okay and they were wondering if he had poisoned them um hmm. and then there was also was it a brother? Then they chopped up. You know, that would have been the, that was the husband's brother, the, oh, okay. the the father's brother. So Lizzie Borden's father's brother, so her uncle. And then I want to say her stepmother had a sister that was also a suspect. I could be wrong huh. because, like I said, I'm not super fresh on it. But when when you know, I, I'll gladly do a deep dive on this because it's super fascinating and it, it will kind of have you questioning, like, okay, mm-hmm. was she actually falsely accused? Because it's it's really hard to tell, and especially you know. They, they didn't lock down a crime scene yeah, back, back then yeah, like sure. they do now. So, so a lot of evidence got lost. So a lot of it was circumstantial. Who stood to inherit? Yeah, who was? It, it could have been that? a sitcom. Yeah, could, you know, did, could women inherit at that point, or did it go to the brother? You know, the uncle, maybe he inherited. You know, there's always money. There's always, you know, follow the money, yeah, you know. That I don't remember. I only remember that after everything was said and done, like years later, she ended up buying like this super, super fancy house that was up on a hill. And that was like one of the reasons why they had accused her was because she was basically saying that her father was like cheap and she wouldn't like buy them like this fancy house because they wanted him to buy them a new house. But it was like, at the time, Lizzie Borden and her sister were both considered like old maids because I think they were in their late twenties oh, and they were still living at home, not married. Because ancient. You, you lived at home until you were married. Yeah, yeah. So it was a very strange situation all around. But I'll do a deep dive on that, and we'll talk about that in a yeah, few. Yeah, that's weeks. an interesting and case. And then, and then you guys can form your own opinions on it. How about mm-hmm. that? All right. Okay. Um, That'd be good. But anyways, the Lizzie Borden house is also a bed and breakfast. Oh um, man, I don't and this stay is another there. one like <laughs> uh, the Hawthorne Hotel, where this is like a years in advance type of thing. Super expensive. 
expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Many people do say that they hear stuff. Um, you you can literally stay in like the room where everything went down. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the most famous. That's the room everybody wants to leave me. To, to, to yep. book. You know? If I own that place, I'd be in the other room going. Three <laughs> rooms that you cannot. Wow. <laughs> uh, wow. These are the top twenty haunted places in Massachusetts. Uh, where are we down? Uh, Number two. We got two more. Right. Um, I don't know what this is. S. K. Pierce Mansion. Mm. S. K. Pierce Mansion. No way. In Gardner, Massachusetts. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Um, apparently, this is. One of the state's most notably haunted houses. This is not a house. This is a straight up mansion. It's mm. beautiful. Um, so much so that it's oftentimes up for sale and realtors have a hard time closing. Um, <laughs> really? And apparently they say that Masonic rituals took place within the, the quote unquote home. Mas- Masonic or demonic? It says Masonic. Like, oh. um, I, I, I would think like Freemasons. Coco. He's a Freemason. <laughs> yeah. Is he a Mason, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yep. Wow, huh? So number one, please. Stop it, Galley. New before Massachusetts. Ropes Mansion. And this is another like crazy this is this is a straight up mansion. Um, and this is iconic. This is in uh Salem also. Wow. They say that it is possibly the most haunted place in Salem. Hmm. Um Long list. doesn't have a great past. Uh in the early days of Salem, uh, tuberculosis was ripping through the the town. Um, and one such family uh, was hit um, really hard uh, was the Ropes family. Um, and the parents, uh, parents of Abigail and Elizabeth, they both died. So they left them orphans um, and they just kind of had to like take care of themselves. Um, Abigail would go on to marry uh, and Elizabeth did not. So here we go. Old, old maid. Again. She was probably like 15 and wasn't married. Massachusetts. Um, and then poor Elizabeth, unmarried, you know, this old maid at probably 15, she got tuberculosis too. Um, so Abigail was the only person left that had to take care of her. Mm. Um, and not long after, Elizabeth would die. Um, and this really crushed Abigail. Um, and she was driven insane by this. Um, mm. So she would actually spend the rest of her life just as a, as, essentially as a hermit, um, locked away in, in the mansion. Mm. Um, yeah, so. uh, not good because one night she was doing hermit things you know as you do um, and she went to tend to the fireplace and her clothes caught on fire um oh. so well, that well, happened well, not great mm-hmm. really Red. pretty house Burned um, up. nice house though yeah. check what, it out what a uh, views. that is said to be the mm-hmm. most haunted most yeah most haunted location mm-hmm. in could you repeat that location place? again Raven? yeah that's the ropes mansion ropes. um so. trying to see if it had the street name here but i can't find it Sometimes it has it and sometimes it doesn't. No. If you type it in, you'll be able to find mm. it. It's really, yeah. really pretty. Yeah, yeah. Classic a- colonial style. It almost looks like the uh, the house from um, Hocus Pocus that um, the girlfriend lived in. Oh, wow. wow. Oh, yeah. You know, they filmed um, The Witches of Eastwick right uh, the next oh, town over from uh, Salem in Ipswich at um, – Crane's Beach. Crane's oh, Beach Crane's Reservation. Castle, yeah. yeah, yeah, which is really kind of a cool place. Um, you know, real quick before we take a break. Movie. Thank you, Raven. Let's uh, clap for Raven. Yeah, yeah, very good. Very good. Places. Oh, very informative. Let's do New Hampshire next time. We'll probably be on the list. We should. Yeah, that would be fun. Well, Bob just came in and opened the door. Did he really? Oh, did it open on itself? Yeah. Oh, my God. I closed the door. It's open right now. I was trying to wave <laughs> him down. Live on air, Bob is with us. Well, well when you started talking about room? haunted places, the door opens I, you know, when we first came on for the segment, I closed the door because there were people in the hallway. And I think they've since left. So I'm sitting down here, and, and when you started doing the this segment on 
the most haunted places in Massachusetts. The door opens. The door opens. It's fully open behind us. And I'm waving uh, the Mac, pointing to the door, going, there's something not cool here. First time ever. I'm glad I'm in New Hampshire. Well, I invoked yeah. him. But the door's open. The door is open. The door is open. And it wasn't. The door closes on its own. He's not taking our beer. Well, if it closes, then I'm going out the window. Yeah, we're We can have musical hits to the rest of the show. Wow, that's interesting. You know, just real quick before we take a break. Um, just talking about strictly like unsolved murders, and I watch Dateline every once in a while, and I really have to kind of stop watching it. They always have these very, very odd cases, but they're all they're they're uh, molded for TV, so you don't know the punchline until the very end. But on one of those type shows, they're talking about <clears throat> John Benet Ramsey. Oh, John Benet Ramsey. She'd be thirty. Yeah, yeah, like she'd be thirty-two now or something. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Or even older, and yeah. no one. And if you read, I mean, every once in a while, she you know, was just my age. see something on. Really? Yeah, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was ninety-six, right? It was it? Yeah, probably right around there when she was killed. Yeah, yeah. but if you we, read, we were the same age. If you read what went on, you know, if you read everything, it's like the unsolvable mystery. Because if you say, but this happened, this happened, but they say no, but you know, we, we figured that out because these people have an alibi. This didn't happen. Well, it's this and this, and it's like. I don't know. It's very strange. I mean, there's, there's like no. They've, they've absolutely um, cleared everybody. It's a cold case, right? In the house, yeah. Oh, it's the coldest case, yeah. But everyone in the house, even though they're all kind of creepy people. I mean, I'm sorry, but they were. Um, yeah. They're all guilty. Everybody would think they were all guilty. Yeah, uh, yeah. And the, the, nobody's just the fact that's that they, so they dressed story. her up like that to perform. Yeah, that, that's a whole. I mean, that yeah, whole yeah, thing was like, kind of weird. Anyway. But I mean, that would attract weirdos who saw her perform too. Well, that's so, what everyone thought. Someone you know, broke in the house. Yeah, someone yeah. broke in maybe, right. but. But there's, there's literally no sign of a break-in. Yeah. And, and the cops were there and didn't find her until they came back the second time and, and all that kind of this, stuff. But the, the, even the, sorry, but the, even the strangest part is, so now the, the Ramsey's the husband and the wife, okay? And they, and they were both kind of accused, and they were both under the cloud for a long time, both exonerated. Her mother died, and then her father married the mother of that girl who was, went missing in Aruba. Holloway? Um, what's Natalie her? Holloway. Was Na, yeah, Natalie, yeah, yeah. Natalie Holloway's... Father, mother and father divorced, and Natalie Holloway's mother married John Benet's father. Wow. Now, th- that's the weirdest now thing all, right, know. Raven? I got that right, right? Yes. <laughs> if um, you were to write I that will... in a novel, they wouldn't believe it. I know. That's so exactly, definitely have to be right? fiction. I will say about that case, um, I, I've, I've read some books about it. I've listened to like a lot of podcasts and watched a lot of documentaries about it. Mm-hmm. And I went in with like a, an opinion of, oh, the parents did it, 100%. Yeah, yes. And uh, the more you get into it, the more it's it was a really badly botched investigation yep, yep. right from the start. Yep, yep. A lot of evidence was lost again. Yeah, yeah. And especially when they get into the details about what was done to her, right, kind of a there is absolutely thing. no way that the parents or the brother mm. had anything to do with that, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it, it, and it's, it sucks because it'll probably never, ever be solved because there's there's so much um, evidence that's gone. Right, yeah. But it's it's... There's so many different rabbit holes to go down. Right. Yes. And yes. it feels like it had to be like multiple players involved. I just don't think it was the family. Right. It, but see, there's the weird thing is that they've they've you know from and from what I read is that even though like I said they're kind of creepy people, they exonerate these people. They went to great lengths. Lots of cops, private detectives, and so they just cannot don't have. They they they're convinced that the no one in the family did it. So that means someone outside had to do it. But there's no evidence of any break-in. 
So, so someone had access to the house somehow. Yeah, but this is while they're home and everything. They just oh. got home from a restaurant and stuff. It's yeah, a strange. But they might have had keys. You know, somebody that was working on the house mm-hmm. and a contractor, previous owner of the, the house. Yeah, but how do you do? I mean, but they're just sneaking while they're asleep. And, you yeah, know. but I think well, the you know. the thing with that is that the house was so massive. Oh, I believe okay. the parents. Their room was like up on the third floor, and then the kids' room was on the second floor. Okay, and it was in like opposite ends of the house or something. Okay, all right, then that makes a lot of sense. So. I guess they said that they wouldn't even hear anything up there where they were, mm. which is also wild in my opinion. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. I, I don't have kids, but I feel like if I did, I would want to hear them. You know, uh, I have a, I, a put a monitor, put a monitor in the room, you know, so you can hear what's right. going on. Right. Hmm. It, it's Strange. it's so wild. I don't know. There's there's just like you could literally go into a downward spiral looking into that. Yeah, look at it. It's just and, like and it's just, so you'll weird. You'll never get an answer. It's just like no obvious, you know, all the obvious. Suspects, all the obvious scenarios just don't work. Now, do they have DNA? I do, think they do have DNA, and they couldn't. It never had a hit. I'm that's. If I'm not mistaken, didn't they recently get DNA off of another oh. piece of evidence? They oh, maybe, had? maybe. Or See, am I mixing that up with another case? Yeah. Well, no, See, I think that might be what I saw on TV. If they have any chance with the DNA, someone what will end up happening is. Somebody who has no clue about anything is going to submit their DNA to yep. some database looking to find out their family genealogy, and and it's going to come back and hit right. against this and say there's a right. you know, a ninety percent chance it's, you're yeah. related to who did this, and right. then they're going to come and say, okay, who? Let's talk to your family, and we'll they're going to find somebody who lived in Colorado Springs. That's, that's how they do it now, right? Yeah, and that's they find how they it. Got the Golden State Killer was somebody submitted right, their yes. DNA, and they were able to find uh, D'Angelo. Yeah, yeah, yep. That's, we found that's someone right. related to him and said, "You're a close match, but you're not it." But we need to. Yeah, who else a, is in your family? You have a cousin who lives in the Bronx <laughs> yeah. or something, right? Yeah, and boom, yeah. you know. Hmm. So that's that's yeah. where that whole DNA thing. Yeah, you got to be really careful. Another reason it. why not to do. They're still working on the case, right? I mean, they had a, I think I don't think the, uh, there's always probably writers and private investigators working on it who would love to solve it because then you've made your bones, you know. But it, yeah. it is really a very strange, strange case because it just looks like no one did it. It's, it's really odd. But anyway, speaking of no one did, why don't we take a commercial break now? And we'll be right back. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Action Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Please stay tuned. UFOs are found in Renaissance art, on ancient coins, and etched on cave walls. They're even reported in the Bible. But more surprising is when UFOs are seen the most in times of war. Through centuries, thousands of UFO sightings have been made by high-ranking officials, military pilots, and ordinary soldiers. Often, these fantastic appearances occur at the height of great battles. From World War I to D-Day to Korea, Vietnam, and beyond, military investigators are baffled. Why do UFO sightings spike so drastically during wartime? Could it be mistaken aircraft, or is someone, or something, looking in on us? In UFOs in wartime, what they didn't want you to know, Mac Maloney chronicles centuries of these incredible sightings and tries to solve the puzzle of why so many UFOs are seen while humanity is at war. Read about the scare ships, the ghost planes, and the ghost rockets, alien giants in the jungles of Vietnam, UFOs controlling our ICBM bases, dogfights with flying saucers during the Gulf War, and more. 300 pages of unbelievable stories, along with many startling photographs. That's UFOs in wartime, what they didn't want you to know by Mac Maloney. On sale at your local bookstore or on Amazon.com.
Welcome back everyone to Mac Maloney's Military Action Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Well, what a show we have for you tonight. Interesting show. Interesting gang is with us here, girls. Uh, hopefully you're already ready because you see a very famous one one. Hello, girls. Hello, everybody. I'm sure they're ready, Mac. You think so? By this time, yeah. Okay. All right. They're, uh, they're drenched with sweat for crying out loud. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for saying sweat, frankly. No cocoa tonight off saving the planet. Uh, but Switchblade Steve Ward is here. Switchy. And he's glad to be here. Okay. And you had a, uh, the big tater today, right? And we're talking about what you had the for breakfast. The big tater at, uh, at Tudor's Biscuit World. Mm-hmm. You don't put ketchup on any of that? Oh, ketchup he, is meant for other things. He's a gas. Like yeah. <gasps> yeah. hamburgers. Oh, no. I would have, I'd drown that baby in ketchup. Sorry. Oh. It's in my DNA. With gravy on it? I, I'd make it on one side and the other. Don't worry. And then at some point they will meet and it'll be like ecstasy. Believe me. Oh, I don't know, Mac. I don't know. Uh, speaking about ecstasy, I think he has some in his wallet. As yeah, uh, UFO mechanic, Al Ronaldo is here. Wow, wow. <laughs> um, I haven't looked at my wallet for a while, but oh, there okay. might be something interesting in there. You I never don't know. know. Who um, knows? Okay, everything good with you, Will? Yeah, you know. Okay, no complaints. The weather's the weather's terrible. The summer's been terrible. I think and, it's been uh, a beautiful summer, frankly. It's been raining. Okay, everything's moldy. Maybe if I went out once in a while, I would notice. Yeah, exactly. Also with us is our favorite good witch up there in Sideways Young, Raven. Raven, how are you? Oh, my gosh. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm so glad that we finally had the discussion to turn this into a cat podcast. A cat podcast, really, yeah. really looking forward to that. A purcast? Okay. Right. A purcast. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Some people are just, I don't know, cat people, and some people are not cat people. You know. We could hit call it Macaloni's cat's meow. <laughs> there you go. Oh, I think I think you're out, you're definitely outnumbered it. here, Mac. I like it. It would actually be kind of funny in a way because all you cat people would gang up on me. Yeah, because there's be. a lot more of us than there are here. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, no. I've got four cats. <laughs> in this room here, <laughs> yeah. in this room, we got like a, a ten cats. Anyway, but but here's the thing: I don't like little cats. It, it's not that I don't like them. Is I don't like their tood. You know what I mean? Every no, one of them has the same exact no, tood. Like, you're here to feed me. You're here to, prov- to provide me warmth and comfort and everything. That's and, right. And, uh, you know, my attitude to you is going to be half the time, eh, half the other time, f- you. Right? I mean, no, basically. Mine. No, not at all. Oh, okay. no, no, I'm they, serious. They return, the, they return the affection. Raven is shaking. Raven is nodding. She agrees with Yes. I have four Norwegian forest cats. They are known for we can't talk about cats. the personality. I, I'm not going to talk ahead. about Yes. But they, they are the, 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 like the best Mox. disposition cats you could ever They're like the Mox want. Brothers of cats. And I have four that are siblings. Okay. Same litter. These guys never argue, never give you a hard time. Hmm. They never fight. They are the sweetest cats. That's, why, oh that's why I drove seven hours to go get them. This is a big edit. This is a big edit. Look. <laughs> You're a dedicated cat. Okay, everyone loves cats, but not everyone loves cats. Catman do. Catman, dude. Don't edit any of this out. This is this This is is all going. Oh, this is already on the. This is already on the cutting room floor. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Anyway, um, unless there's a lot of cat pet stores in Salem, Massachusetts, maybe we can you know work out a special show with one of those. They're familiars. Anyway, Switchy, it's time to put in your bumper right here. And now it's time for another story from the lost annals of the paranormal. It's time for Steve Ward's report from the fringe. Right, switch. Come in, please, switchy. 
the source for this one, this fringe report, comes from a, uh, a paperback that was published in 1974 called UFOs, Past, Present, and Future by uh, Robert Emmenager. And uh, this was kind of a, it was yeah, just right on the coattails of Pascagoula, the coin helicopter case. There was a lot going on at this time. And uh, there was a, one particular report in here that, that caught my eye. And uh, it actually uh, took place in 1959 in Maine, or at least that's where it started. Um, but it centers on several uh, people involved in intelligence, the Office of Naval Intelligence and the CIA. Um, Lieutenant uh, Colonel Robert Friend. He was uh, U.S. Air Force retired. Uh, he was a, a former head of Project Blue Book when he was interviewed for this in 1974, 1973 for the book. And uh, he, uh, uh, like I say, he was uh, for, for a period of time, he was, of course, after uh, Ruppelt, but he was uh, in charge of Blue Book for a while, knew Dr. Heineck. Um, he was uh, uh, retired at the time, at this time, and uh, was on the, the staff of Celesco company management. Um, they built and, and launched missiles for self-defense purposes. Now, Friend was highly regarded by the other officers. Uh, Heineck had nothing but good things to say about him. And uh, Heineck said he had an open mind to the approach on UFOs, the UFO mystery. So at first, Friend, for years, he wouldn't talk about this, this bizarre incident. Uh, but about 15 years went by and Robert uh, Emmenager was able to get an interview with him and find out about this uh, really strange occurrence. Um, uh, Friend also said that there was, well, he said that there, there's this one particular investigation that involved a series of incidents that stood out because of its weirdness. Uh, it starts with an unnamed rear admiral. He had information about a woman in northern Maine, uh, Mrs. Sean, who claimed to be in contact with ETs. And uh, again, this is 1959. He sent two naval intelligence officers there to investigate. Now, uh, we, our government had information that the Canadian government had already uh, done some extensive investigations into this woman and her claims. Now, we don't have uh, don't, don't have the specific questions, but the uh, for starters, these officers asked the lady all kinds of scientific and technical questions that she answered with ease. I mean, she just did not have the education level to to know this, and she claimed that this was she was getting the information from the with the aid the telepathic aid of the space brothers. Um, so they, uh, there were, I guess there was extensive questioning. I wish we had some of them, but we don't. Uh, she said there was an organization of these beings called OEEV, which meant Universal Association of Planets. Um, and they had a certain project which focused on the Earth, but there were no details forthcoming, but apparently very interested in us. Um, the woman said that... Uh, that she, she she got this message while they're questioning her that one of the officers that they could speak through him if they wanted and he could come back with them and they would still be getting the information from this intelligence or whatever it was so again 1959 a friend attended a meeting in the security portion of a washington government building completely unnamed uh they were surrounded by cia and military personnel and they had this one officer there that got the uh uh, the nod to be the channeler for these uh, beings. So they had uh, several uh, prepared questions and he went into a trance um, and they asked questions like of the aliens through him or whatever they are. Do you favor any government group or race? Answer, no. Will there be a third world war? No. They even asked, are Catholics the chosen people? Well, this dude, whoever he was said no. So that not 
not my, you know, not my message. I, I'm not trying to, you know, upset any Catholics, but you know, I, and the and the the uh, individual that they were speaking through was AFA, A F F A, from Uranus. Okay, insert your joke here. I just did. Now, uh, they also asked, "Can we see a a spaceship?" And the subject, still in a trance, said, "Go to the window, and they would have proof." So they went to the window and supposedly saw a classic UFO. At 1400, July 6, 1959, they saw what looked like a classic metallic flying saucer through the window. And then, friend, uh, he uh, asked a series of his own questions while the man was uh, in, in a deep trance. He was answering by automatic writing. He was putting the answers in large letters and was clearly uh, in, in some kind of trance and was was moving around very rapidly and jerkily, his movements. Um, and, and more of these names came through. These uh, Well, there was the AFA, there was Olimar, Olimar Krill, C-R-I-L-L. And uh, the thing is, these names had come through before and after. Uh, George Van Tassel, who used to uh, channel the Space Brothers under Giant Rock. Many of these names would come through. But sometime later, George Hunt Williamson, supposedly through radio telegraphy, had a series of contacts. Many of these same names would come through. Different channelers, different parts of, of the world, and different time periods. Several years later, uh, um, Carla Ruckart, who was the one that channeled the raw material, the, the law of one, also was getting some of these same names. So it's just very interesting that Whatever the source of this is, the collective unconscious, really some kind of space brother, alien intelligence, I don't know. But the same names keep reoccurring. Uh, there were seven top men in intelligence that were present at this security meeting. All, all had uh, clearances, all you know, loyal uh, uh, military employees. Uh, none of their names were released. But uh, uh, as the questioning went on, you find out more. There was this this Ponar from Mercury, Ankar from Centaurus. Again, the same names coming through over and over. Um, and they, the, the report, uh, the Friends report, reiterated that there was just no way that this woman could come up with uh, these answers to some of these highly technical questions. But then some kind of gibberish came through. The population of Jupiter was 787,000, um, uh, or no, million. Um, they... Uh, it took uh, Jupiter seven days to revolve uh, for one day, and I think it's more like nine hours. Um, and uh, just just some uh, some weird, uh, uh, you know, alleged facts about the solar system that sounded very bogus. Um, so at, so then uh, he, uh, he, uh, friend was asked in this interview. So what was what happened? What's the upshot? And he said, well, the uh, the general is you know told him to drop it, to forget it, because there was another government agency already involved. Mm. And he said, when you're a colonel and a general tells you to drop it, you drop it. Mm -hmm. uh, he did say that uh, he checked later on and everybody that was involved in this got moved elsewhere to another base, yeah, yeah. A, a very different job or whatever. So they kind of put the stamp of uh, a cover up, really. They yeah, just sure. didn't really want to deal with this. Yep. Kind of embarrassing anyway. Yeah, yeah. But here's here's the upshot. Here's the conclusion that we've heard so much before, so many times before. You get these messages, whatever the source actually is, mm -hmm. the channeling message. And some of the information is dead on accurate. Sometimes the predictions are dead on accurate. Okay. And other other information is total nonsense. Yep. Absolute total nonsense. The uh 
the University of Michigan professor. He was involved with Yuri Geller and some other people when they were they really were, were, were getting some kind of contact from mm-hmm. from the Space Brothers or whatever. They got predictions that were dead on, and he's buying the whole thing. And then guess what? The world's going to end on such and such a date. Yep. Call everybody to the mountaintop. Space Brothers will come down yes. and scoop you up. And they didn't show up. But I got to ask you this: What you know? When you say that, when you said that, you know, the information that people got. Some of it was dead on, and some of it was just baloney, right? Right. You know what that reminds me of, though? And it's only because last week we did a spy trivia show. That sounds like spycraft, because what they used to do is they would, like in World War II, uh, is well known that British intelligence, every German agent that was sent over the spy in England during World War II was captured and turned by British intelligence, which then had them radio back bogus information to, to Nazis and the Nazis, the dopes they are, never figured this out, okay? So for the whole time, they were feeding the Nazis information, but, um, and, and a lot of it bogus, but what they had to do is you had to throw in something that was going to happen to give these fake spies credibility, you know what I mean? So they had, oh, yeah. to, they had to give them something, and, and, and you know, so I'm going to say maybe, and something that they could just... There's a lot of ways of doing it, you know, but um, uh, uh, it just sounds like the same thing. It sounds like the well, same thing, you know. It, it's I'm going like, to have to report. There's a book called Hungry Ghosts. I can't remember the guy's name right now. Okay. But he did a, a long investigation over several years where he was working with mediums. And mm-hmm. he would contact people that supposedly were in the war. Uh, he got in contact with a woman supposedly he was connected with that lived in ancient Greece. And the information would come through, and so much of it was good. And then he would even went over to, to England and in Europe to to uh, try and verify some of the stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he would find some of it he could verify, but then all of a sudden there were huge gaps where it was just nonsense. Mm-hmm. And he'd come back and confront the whatever the spirit or whatever through the medium, right? And, and try and get an explanation. And they would be kind of tap dance around it, you know. Mm. It was just so. It, again, he, he got. Uh, so much of it, and he was buying into this hook, yeah. line, and sinker. Sure, yeah, yeah. And then he became so disillusioned. I mean, he really thought that he was connected to this woman, this spirit something. from you know, a, a centuries ago, mm-hmm. and it was all crap. So, uh, but you know, mm-hmm. it, that book is really valuable. To it's kind of a, a warning, really. What's the name I mean, again? What's the title? Uh, Hungry Ghosts. Hungry I Ghosts. can't remember the guy's name. Uh, I'm almost done with it. It was uh, recommended by. Uh, I was reading another book by Colin Wilson. Yes. And he uh, gave this book high praise because this guy really uh, dug into it. Did his and homework. Uncovered, you know, so many people are out there contacting their guides. Yeah, yes, and, yes. Uh, yep. and, and whatever. And some of it may be legitimate from the other side. I don't know. But some of it, it it's a path. And he, he talks about some people that were uh, on the verge of suicide. They were so screwed up mm-hmm. with the uh, – and it's almost like these entities or whatever they were were messing with them purposely to screw them up in so, some cases. Okay, so here's the question. I, let's just flip this for a second. Sure. All right, to take this idea of that somehow or other, you know, there are some people on this earth who seem to get messages from elsewhere, let's say, okay? that see, whether, it, whether it happens or not, it happens a lot. It happens so much, it seems like not everyone could be faking, All right, number one. Number two, uh, in a lot of these cases that we just said, there's stuff spot on, and then there's stuff that makes no sense. Once again, in Spycraft, you do that to screw up your enemy. So why would some, let's say, extraterrestrial force want us, do you see what I mean? You know, if they're, if they're I hate to say it, if they're England and we're Germany, what, why are they, what are they trying to 
how are they trying to misdirect us with, with stuff that we know is nonsense? What's the agenda? What's the agenda, exactly? Thank you, Al. You know, I mean, what, what would it be to just keep us – Maybe now I'm really sounding like one of these conspiracy people. Was it, is it really to kind of keep us complacent a little bit? That it's always going to be in the the realm of the fringe that you know people are getting these messages, but it happens so regularly. It's crazy. If Carl Jung were here, maybe he could tell us because it's, it's like the trickster. By the way, it's Joe Fisher is the author of Hungry Ghost. Oh, Joe Fisher, okay. The research. Um, uh, John Keel found this uh, all through the the Mothman episode. The people that believe they were in contact with the Space Brothers mm. and they would be getting all this information. And uh, again, I, I know I've mentioned this before, but the granddaddy was when. Uh, all these many of these silent contactees that he was in contact with yes. started talking about an EM effect that was going to occur on December 15th, 1967. The okay. moment President Johnson lit the Christmas tree, there are going to be three days of darkness or whatever. Really? And so by this time, he said, LBJ. I was a, a raving paranoiac. I was I bought a hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, yeah. He's in his New York apartment. He's got jugs of water there. He's ready for some really bad times. Yep. Johnson lights the Christmas tree. Nothing, Nothing happens. happens. A few moments later, the bridge between Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and Ohio collapses. Is that right? right. Oh, wow. And, and you know, EM effect? What did that mean? Like Keel thought a, a factory might be blowing up or something. But there was no, hmm. if there really was some intelligence there, totally they, it, there was an intentional misdirection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, you can, you can. there are dotted lines to that. There are dotted lines to a lot of things. But the thing is this, is that it, no matter what, at least in our uh, kind of civilization, it's always going to be on the fringe. It's always going to be on the fringe until somebody somebody writes a John Keel book, but he's um, he's he's David Attenborough or something. You know what I mean? Someone who has a lot of cliche, not cliche, um, cachet, has a lot of uh, you know power, a lot of readers is con- considered authoritative on you know their subject, and and that's what it's going to take, and it's going to have to have some kind of scientific background. Believe me, this was fifteen no about fifteen years ago, eleven years ago, or so. Um, when my book UFOs in What Time on sale everywhere came out the same week, a, a woman who was a more noted writer than Mac Maloney wrote a book on werewolves, and it was this very kind of researched. She was from Columbia and that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? And she just took all these stories, especially a lot of them in New Jersey, as it turns out, in the Pine Barrens and other places, where there were just these stories of werewolves, people who talked to them, people who knew them, people who saw them over the years. And it was this very, very compelling case that werewolves exist only because you couldn't make up all these stories, you know? And 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 I think in, in that kind of, you know, paragon, if I can say paradigm, is that it's, it's the same for all paranormal stuff. We hear it happening all the time. We read about it all the time. But it's always that fringe. But if you actually looked at it from a statistical point of view, as I think John Keel said, you know, within 10 miles, you're going to find someone who saw a ghost. Within 20 miles, you're going to find someone who had a UFO experience, you know, on and on. It's it's common, but it's not accepted yet. That's the strange thing about it. He also quotes uh, Charles Fort at the end of the Mothman Prophecies and says, if there's a universal mind, must it be sane? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're assuming that scary. it is. Yes. Good point. Yes. Uh, listen, before we... Uh, Take a break. I have to throw this to one one. Um, yes, sir. How old is uh, Mick Jagger? Um, isn't he approaching eighty? Okay, isn't he eighty? I think he might even be. Yeah, that's okay. right. He just had his birthday a few weeks ago. Okay, so here's 80. here's the mystery. This is almost paranormal. So I'm watching on CNN today, and I think it's CNN or YouTube, and it says Keith. It must have been YouTube because the little blurb was Keith Richards surprises Mick. 
Jagger with birthday greetings on stage at some place, some concert. Okay, so this had to be yeah. within the next two, you know, next couple in the past couple of weeks. So he comes out and it's all ha ha, you know how they are, hang on each other and stuff. Happy birthday, ha ha. In the background, Please, happy birthday. Tell me what it's like. Yeah, right. Yes, tell me what it's like. In the background, I swear it's not uh, Steve Jordan on the drums. It looks like it's Charlie Watts on the drums. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Have you seen the clip? Do you know the clip? I mean. I, no, I, just, I heard it. I didn't see the clip. Okay, it's on YouTube. Oh wait, no, yes, I did. I saw the clip. It was on the uh, Keith Richards uh, Instagram thing. Okay, is 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 um, Steve? Uh, what's his name? Still the drummer? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. really. Okay, look at that clip and tell me you don't see Charlie Watts in there. It's like one of those ghostly photographs. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll look at. I'll look at it. But okay. Yeah, he definitely did say. Yeah, tell me. Hey, tell me what it's like. Yeah. Hey, man, happy birthday. Yeah. Says, tell me what it's like. Freaking guy is eighty years old. Because this, Keith this, is going to be eighty. Yeah, on December eighteenth. Oh, is that right? Yeah, they're only yeah, six yeah. months old. Than them. The eighty brothers. And Mick <laughs> Jagger. I mean, just click on someday. You know, this guy's life and lifestyle. You know, you can click on these things. How much he's worth and stuff. Yeah. He has how many drink? How many kids does he have? Like seventy four kids or something. He's got, he's got great grandkids yeah. and everything. He has he's great. Got, he. I think his entire brood equals seventy four at this point. That number sticks in my mind because he has so many kids by so many. Women over so many years since the sixties, man. He's you know he's like he's creating his own race or something, right? He's eighty years old and he's still running around. He's eighty years old and he's still running he's, around. And his, so his kid, his last kid, he was in his mid seventies, wasn't right? He? And she was twenty two. And she's right. <laughs> okay. Financially stable. Financially stable is right. It's also when people say all oh, those rock stars, you know. Financially stable and sexually able. There you go, Lonnie. Write that down. Let's copyright that. <laughs> all right, I'll tell you what. Speaking like, of which, you know what? Go ahead. He can spread his DNA around all day long. Right. You know what? It's going to be good research to see how that carries. Um, yeah, and down the line, musically. Stamina. Right. But I'll tell you, you know what? Their lives. You would think that, but I'll tell you. Can you name more than a handful? Not even a handful of, you know, a, a son who was successful when his father was, you know, a superstar. Okay, like none of the Beatle kids ever really made it. Bob Dylan's son had a couple hits. Uh, none of the, you know what I mean? There's no one, yeah. no one really prominent. It's it's like that generation. Maybe because how they were brought up, maybe they get to hate it, or, or you know, who knows, you know. But um, I will argue, Bob Dylan's son, whose name I can't remember, yeah, Jacob, made uh, better music than Jacob Bob Dylan. Dylan. Yeah. Yes. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God for- Bob Dylan can come and fight me. Oh, can't Ooh. stand Ooh. him. We put that on HBO. <laughs> Why? <laughs> but his son is. Yeah. Why? Because he's what? Gorge? What a babe. Oh boy. Look, yeah. he, he, his son's good looking, and he's got a, a similar voice. Yeah, of no. course, of course. Why wouldn't he have? Here's the thing about Bob Dylan. Okay, I, more I didn't, melodic than, than Bob. So I did not watch. Like, oh, listen, hey, look, a pit bull is more melodic than Bob. But I didn't like him for a long time. I didn't because I didn't get it. I didn't understand. All right, and then, um, you know, someone. Uh, well, uh, we know her as Lo- as Lois was a big Elvis Costello fan, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, Elvis Costello, and I'd never listened to him either. And, you know, he came in concert oh, and so on. you are? We saw him Elvis, live. Elvis Costello and the attractions. Yeah. Never got it. Never got it. But I understood. You know, I'm, in a, detectives. I'm in a room. I'm in a concert hall at the old Orpheum, and everyone yeah. else but me got it. So I'm, I thought, well, there must be something to be got here. And that's when I looked at Dylan and said, like, he doesn't have the best voice, obviously. And it's always a little kind of bumpy. And... His earlier work is better than his, you know, but he's just a he's just a guy who back in the you know poets used to be the rock stars, you know, yeah, and and now and he's a rock star poet. That is it, 
Okay, if he was, you know, recording someone else's songs, he wouldn't get from here to there. You know what I mean? Because that voice. Yeah. Uh, I saw them. Saw him a few times at Harvard Square. The, yeah, right at the old Blown uh, in the Wind yeah. era. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know when he really took off with Highway 61 Revisited mm-hmm. and the Mr. Tambourine Man. Era, yeah, yeah, yeah. When it hit, yep. that's when uh, everybody and their brother was covering right, covering Bob his Dylan songs, songs yep. making a living off of it. Yeah, uh, yeah. For quite a few years. Yeah, it was interesting. And in chair, the birds. Oh yeah, you know? oh that that whole that whole you know kind of I don't know what it is you know Western rock or I don't know what it yeah. is Hillbilly, I don't know. But it, it's funny that it that it survived because this really turned into a music show. Is that there was like a big folk movement in New York and in the country before the Beatles hit, right? I mean, mm-hmm. in fact, it was morphing into Hoot Nanny, and I always think to myself, the Beatles saved us from Hoot Nanny because Hoot Nanny was going to be the next big thing. Thank God the Beatles, you know, hit, and that was a reason that that whole folk scene could have gone away. You know what I mean? Just you know, another wave of music, but it but it survived, and I think a lot of it had to do because Dylan, you know became electrified, you know what I mean? I'm not giving yes. all the credit in the world, but it did, you know, and that's country rock or however you want to call it, the birds and stuff. Crosby, Stills, and Nash and you know, those kind mm-hmm. of bands. You know, they, their whole careers is based are based on covering his songs or his sound. Yet you had artists like uh, Judy Collins mm-hmm. and uh, Joni Mitchell had, mm-hmm. a good, had, had and still have good careers on being folksy but being Melodic folksy with some orchestrations and even Judy Collins that did like uh, one of the yeah. one of the best Beatle covers I thought of uh, mm-hmm. in my life I thought was a great oh, I Beatles thought she did uh, of anybody why don't we do it in the road Hey Raven do you know who um, <laughs> do you know who Joni Mitchell is I do yeah. um, I just want to piggyback on that real quick okay. he sucks so oh, <laughs> <laughs> just want to throw that in one more time Touche. what are you talking about. Dylan. 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 Well, I saw him. I saw him at the Songus Arena twice. Oh, really? During his uh, crooning era. Oh, yeah, that was Songus Arena in Lowell, Mass. About that. Wow. Songus. Yeah. Another night with Bob Dylan. Yeah. And and uh, I dug it. I kind of dug it. Yeah, you have to. You have to. You you have to be a. um, You have to kind of get it. And like I said, not every person gets every artist, you know. But. Yeah. And and he's hard yeah, to get, you know. It's like we, jazz. We need to do a show, yeah. right? Yeah, where we all talk the way Bob Dylan sings. Really, the whole show. Yeah. That's okay. a great idea. That's Go ahead. gonna end real quickly because it's so annoying. <laughs> it's it's annoying. Doing it. Every time you hear him, you say, "Blow your f-ing nose there, dude, will you please?" And then didn't start again. <laughs> Amazing. But uh, I, I switched to you. Can you do Dylan? Come on, let's hear it. Um, let's see. Uh, Oh boy! <laughs> Very whiny, okay. a yeah. whiny kind of voice. How about this? I ain't gonna work on Maggie's farm, farm no more. <laughs> <laughs> Al, do you want to jump in with me? No, no, I, I, that was my. That was, um, Is Bob the ghost <laughs> here? Maybe he wants. Maybe Bob was on. So one, one, uh, the Sangha Center. You know the low, the rejuvenation of Lowell, Mass. Yes. Uh, Politician, yeah, Songus, yeah, everything gets and named after him. Yes. He was um, somehow lower. related through marriage or something else to uh, Jack Kerouac. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, because, that's stable yeah, because, individual. Because uh, Sue worked with Lowell, a woman yeah, Well, that's who, where he was from. That's where Kerouac was from, Lowell. They yeah, had right, some kind right. of Lowell tie. Yeah. Right. So Sue worked with a woman uh, at DSS that was DSS. somehow um, related to right. Kerouac, maybe a, a cousin or, or something like that. And, okay. 
And, and, and in the day, it was wow. That's yeah. Uh, he that's was interesting. the uh, first hipster, the first yeah. kind of. What was it? What was his book? The on, on the road. On the road. road. On the road, yeah. I never read any of that stuff. When I was in college, man, everyone was reading that stuff. Yeah, I and I said, eh, you know. I was cares. carrying that book around and when I was going to Northeastern. You, know, you used to, yeah, I know. You told me. You used to uh, take the tea. The Kool-Aid acid test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, on the road. To pick up chicks, right? When you carry it on, uh, the, on the train so everyone could see Bellows the title. Catch, uh, uh, this, Tropic of Cancer. This is one of. I never read it, but. Vinyl albums that I got at the Harvard Coop. That See, were cool. this like is all. Project, it's a chick bugs. I've been writing more, reading more Mac Maloney kind of books. <laughs> don't, don't stop. We're almost done. Hey, you know what? We almost got through. Books, those books are written by hipsters, but you were a hipster if you were reading those books. Right. But you're, you're, tra you're trying. In, That's so, what was cool about in many it. cases, you were trying too hard to be a hipster. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Isn't that like the whole point of, of the hipster? Like you're, you're just trying way too hard in, in if, general? Yeah, in general, yes. It's, Once it's you, nauseating. Must be why I never right. made it in that scene. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't ever try that hard for anything. Here's what you did. No, here's the, no there, was a, there was a modus operandi about it. Here's what you did. You had right. those books. You had those records. Mm -hmm. And you carried around under your arm, you know, between classes or you're hopped on the, there you hopped go. On the train and you're going back to Harvard Square to hang out maybe listen to some music instead of doing your homework. Go ahead, yes. And you put your books and stuff on the table. Yeah, so people okay? can see so them, right. You're ordering your coffee, you're ordering your shit. This is, like, look at this guy. He's a hipster. And, and that's your calling card. Yes, yeah. right. Right. I can see that. And I can see, it I mean. It wasn't a goofy t-shirt. No, no. That's what we talk about is is it in, in a romantic way. Yep. That was actually a good look. Let's say. You could it could get you some attention at a certain point in time, you know, and then it got mm -hmm. as Raven said, kind of cliche, and then everyone's trying too hard, and then all of a sudden in Harvard Square, it's like you know department stores and you know very very expensive you know places to go and eat. Harvard wow. Square continued to be hip for a long time, and then you had uh, some competition in Boston. At the yeah, yeah, and the Harvard Coop Coffee House, the Harvard Coop, which was uh, this nice little funky bookstore, is now looks like uh, you know Jordan Marsh or something. You I know? don't even recognize it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, they do that? Oh, the second floor was the record department. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was there a lot browsing. I got a lot of my college uh, used textbooks there too. It's well, yeah. I, I used to go up there get used textbooks. Now. Yeah. Use textbooks and that little alley, that alley there, which uh, that alley, yeah, uh, 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 yeah, the uh, yeah, that the um, there's that famous uh, coffee shop. Wow, we're really going down the road now. Club forty, club forty seven, and then across from it is, is where Borders is now, which is a really good uh, restaurant. But down at the end of that alley, uh, towards yeah. the other, towards the river, let's say, we walked in there last night. It, it was a, a bakery, right? And uh, and they were like, I don't want to say gourmet. But it was, you know, excuse me, type of a place. And we went and we get six mini, this is about 10 years ago, too, uh, mini cupcakes. Okay. How, how much they cost you? $18. $18. And, and you know, I mean, $18. And this is before the pandemic. Before they, That's what I said. I go, these things better be the best freaking cupcakes I've ever tasted. And they weren't. They, were, they weren't even that good. Oh, that's See, that's what took oh. over in Harvard Square. Like in Harvard Square in the early days, you'd see like, Places that was giving away free food to people, and yep. you know, and there's all this really kind of touchy feely hippie when, stuff. When uh, Sue was going for a master's like in education or whatever, uh, you know, her and I were hanging out with some of her college friends, and you know, and they'd come up to me and go, "Oh, so so what's your major?" <laughs> you? And I'd look at him and I'd go, mm -hmm. "My major is in real life, oh. like working for a living." <laughs> wow, and, and I was really you know not the most pleasant at that point, <laughs> and I was the only one who had any money because I worked for a living, and they were all. You know, poor college students. Al. And Sue would be like, just shut up and let it go. And you took her advice? No. <laughs> no, I kept right on Al, going. I've said this to you before. Someone should write a book about you. 
Yeah. I think it'd be a bestseller. Yeah, I don't know. Why don't we do this? <laughs> Why don't we take a commercial break now and uh, regroup, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Access Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Please stay tuned. Hawk Hunter, the wingman, has finally rid the world of its worst ever supervillain, Victor Robotov. But in Mac Maloney's latest book, War of Dragons, we learn the maniacal terrorist ghost still haunts our battered, devastated planet. In War of Dragons, book 22 in Mac's best-selling wingman series, Hawk and his united American allies uncover Victor's bizarre plot from beyond the grave. The super terrorist hit six nuclear bombs around the Mediterranean before he died, knowing their detonation will empty out the Great Sea and cause a worldwide catastrophe. Guarding these weapons of mass destruction, he's left behind a family of ferocious air dragons, eternal aerial sentinels that will stop at nothing to protect their late master's unthinkable secrets. Sailing aboard their gigantic aircraft carrier, the USS USA, Hawk and the United Americans must battle their way across the Mediterranean, slaying these dragons in hopes of beating Victor's allies to the nuke's secret locations before time runs out. If not, then the world will face a very nasty, very watery Armageddon. It's Game of Thrones meets Top Gun in Wingman 22, War of Dragons by Mac Maloney, on sale now on Amazon. Macmoney's Milltracks, our show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Macmoney. Wow, what a show we have for you tonight. I mean, really, what a show we have for you tonight. It's just going to keep getting better and better. Girls, he's here, the very famous Juan Juan. Hello, Mac. Hello, girls. It's been a crazy show. Across the bottom. Kind of a, a potpourri That's of okay. uh, content. Now you're speaking French to us. Uh, no Coco tonight, speaking about French, out saving the world. But Switchblade Steve Waters here, Switchy. Great to be here tonight. One big tater into the day, right? <laughs> Big Tater. Big Tater. Also with us is our favorite good witch, Raven. How are you doing, Raven, up there in Sideways, New York? Oh, my God. I'm doing great. Thanks for having mm-hmm. me. Uh, your phone mechanic, Al Ronaldo, in the studio. Hey, Mac. Uh, one one. I wanted to ask you. I saw an article uh, today online about uh, the uh, police in London are getting uh, upset because people are violating uh, a couple of the cemeteries. They're having sex on top of the... Uh, <laughs> The flat, you know, things they bury, and they try, they're going to put fences oh, around these things. Terrible. Having look, sex on a grave. Yeah, really? look it up. Yeah, I saw it online today. Wow. So you okay. know it's got to be true. Right. It has to be. Hey, listen, no <laughs> connection at all. I go to the, uh, the resource that uh, is my favorite, and that's at bbc.co.uk. There you go. <laughs> Check it out. I, I looked it up, story. and it's, it's a thing. Yeah. Listen, no connection at all with having mirror, sex on gravestones. He's stepping on He's stepping on your intro. Having no connection at all with having sex on gravestones is our good friend, Matt Malley. From Counting Crows. Let's clap him in. He's used to the applause. Matt, how you doing? Hey, buddy. hey Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey, Raven. Good to see you. Good to see you. He, he's, he's got the Michael McDonald look down, okay? But the beard is getting a little... Yeah. That, that or Stephen King, I've been told. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you definitely have that. So okay. you're, you're out in um, in a Thousand Oaks, right, California? Yeah, Thousand Oaks. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And you were telling us off here that it's been uh, kind of interesting weather-wise and climate-wise the past we week? We had a hurricane. The other day. Wow. Okay. A hurricane and an earthquake. And, earthquake. Yeah. and all on the same day in Southern California. That is like, yeah. that's kind of nutty, don't you think? 
Yeah, I love it. I, I I don't know if I'm just bitter with humanity, but when something like that happens, I think, good, finally something important is, is happening. <laughs> really? Okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You're not on the local TV saying that, are you? Uh, I, I, get, I get killed. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> but wow. So um, so anyway, so now uh, just the, the thumbnail is you were in Counting Crows for 14 years, was it? Yeah, 14 years. Okay. Yeah. All right. Toured the world several times, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of that band. I'm proud of the, the music they made, and and uh, I got to do that. You mm-hmm. know, and it's not what everyone thinks. It's not this glamorous thing. I mean, you look at bands like the Stones and stuff, and they're out there doing it the the real legendary way with the private jets and all that. Yep. But otherwise, you're just you're living in hotels, and you're looking for where the catering is, and then you got to go on stage for two hours. It's it's not what not what I thought it was. Right, I'm right. Glad I got to do it. But but did it, did it turn into not what you thought it was? Did it kind of sour? Yeah, it mute. Yeah, well, just the the redundancy of it. I, for the first couple of years, it was great, you know. And then mm-hmm. when we made the first record, and it was a big hit record, and but it was like magical. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it just turns into a, a monotonous job after that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I'm in a bitter mood today, but <laughs> I thought you were in a good mood because of the earthquake and the hurricane. <laughs> There's people out there that kill to be in Counting Crows. See, a lot of people. Yeah, uh, yeah right, someone. right. Yeah, you, for sure. You, know, you know, Matt missed earlier that uh, we were doing. Uh, JJ and I were doing Bob Dylan covers. Oh, yeah. No, Matt, you're probably a Bob Dylan fan, right? Well, I'm a fan of his words. I, I think he's a brilliant lyricist. And uh, but you know, I, I'm not. I didn't. I was more of a prog rocker. I didn't gravitate to that whole Civil War era of guy with a guitar thing myself. You know, but uh, he's a true yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, that that thing. Yeah, I like the English version of it. I like the English folk revivalism. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, we've yeah, talked about that before. But you know, when Robbie yeah. Robinson died from the band, yeah. okay, which you know. I mean, the band was just, to me, one of, you know, 20, 30 groups, like say, back then. I, I mean, I never really paid attention to them. You heard them on the radio very, you know, very often, really. They had a bunch of hits. But when you hear about the, you know, the history of the band, how they started this kind of Americana rock, okay, and, and these English guys fell in love with it, just like, yeah. you know what I mean? Just like they came up, like Eric Clapton, Judge Harris, and all these people came to the band as if they were – the best band ever, you know. They just yeah. love that kind of music. Where I just thought, it was, yeah, it's okay. Like you say, a civil war stuff, you know. Who needs it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. The UK went crazy. Uh, I mean, the first Fairport Convention record has some, uh, like a little Joni Mitchell cover, and they were kind of mimicking the American Americana folk rock until they discovered their own mm-hmm. exotic music of the UK, and then they, they really took off after that. Yeah, yeah, right. Can you explain Joni Mitchell to us? Are you a big Joni Mitchell fan? I love Joni, and uh, I'm not a I'm not an expert on her, but I know that, that again she's another lyricist that's mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Her words, mm-hmm. if you just Google any song of hers from the '70s, uh, you, any song, it, it's really good poetry. Mm-hmm. You know? And what a voice! Yeah. You know? But she had this uh, enrapturing effect on a lot of different guys, a lot of different rock stars. You know, they talk about Patty Boyd having songs written about it. Lots of people wrote songs about mm-hmm. Joni Mitchell, yeah. and you know. I read uh, Graham Nash's autobiography, which is a great book. I forgot what it's called, but he talks about falling in love with Joni, and they were an item for a while. Mm-hmm. And he really loved her. Yeah, a lot of the people, you know, a lot of those guys fell in love with her, and just and they were, she was like the love lost, if you want to believe it, you know. Yeah. But yeah. wow, huh? So, um, but so then you were um, after you left the Crows, you were uh, on Earth for a while, but then you went back touring again, right? Yeah, I had eighteen years to to raise three boys with my wife and then they got a little bigger and then I met a, a bunch of Scottish wild men that I fell in love with and went on tour for a year last year and, and as you a couple of you guys uh, three of you at yes. least yep. came to came see us in fantastic the, uh, yeah thanks one one they, they were, it was the name clean, of the group was 
Was uh, it's called uh, one uh, Gary Mullen and the Works. Gary Mullen and One Night of Queen. Yeah, what, One Night uh, of that Queen. Was. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a Gary's just a dedicated Freddie Mercury. Yeah. So none of us had to dress up or act like any Queen members. We just had to play good yep. and back him up. Yep. It was great. He, he was a dedicated he Freddie Mercury. Dedicated oh, Freddie Mercury so is the word. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Amazing showman. The, and the band was great. And I said this before. We went to see you. Uh, Lois and I went to see you at the Wilbur Theater in Boston, which was a nice little kind of venue, you know, nice little theater. That gets great seats. And it was nice. It was nice. And then we yeah. saw you at Hampton Beach about three months later, and it was insane. It was crazy. Yeah. The, it's a different crowd, different venue. But, man, oh, man, that, the place was just going crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a rock and roll place, that, that Hampton Casino, yeah. Hampton Beach Casino. Zeppelin played there, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The Doors played there. The Doors played there. Played there. Yep. Oh, God. Jethro Tell played there, and they had a big riot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. wow. 1966, wow. man. 66. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. That place yeah. was a dump when the Doors were there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Have you been there lately? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway. Wow. That's crazy. So. Uh, what I would do to have seen the Doors. I saw the yeah. Doors in, uh, I saw the yeah, doors in magical. 1967. 67. Just as Light My Fire became big, they toured, and I saw them. They were okay. But uh, the opening act was um, Linda Ronstadt and the Stone Pony with the two Eagles. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know at the wow. time, but... Yeah, she was wow. she was pretty good, you know. But there's that kind of folk rock, that California folk rock. Everyone was there to hear the doors, and the doors they were okay. It was you know a little too hippy dippy, frankly. But mm. it was okay. It was all right. No bass player, which always bothered me. They, they had no bass player. You know, <laughs> yeah. Even the White Stripes, you know, yeah, sacrilegious yeah. bass player. And he played a piano bass, right? Piano bass yeah. with his left hand. Yeah, yeah Rayman Zarek. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of on. Great band, though. Great band. But the anyway, now is the Hollywood Vampires. There you go. Oh, Johnny yeah. Depp, right? Yeah, yeah. Johnny Depp and Company. Yep. Wow. Are they good? One, one, Joe one, Perry. One. Yeah, they're good. They, yeah, wow. they, they rocked out there. Solid, excellent. Just wow. uh, kick-ass rock and roll. You know, nothing, nothing fancy, but you know, you, you got Alice Cooper as a front man. Yeah. And a couple mm. of guys from his band, and you got Joe Perry who was uh, playing out of his mind. Yeah. I want to see Alice Cooper in uh, two weeks. Are you really? Yeah. He's oh, touring so excited, band, yeah. and then. Obviously, by the time this episode releases, this will already have happened. But on Friday, I'm going to see the Pixies. Awesome. Wow. Right. Never seen them live, and I'm so excited. Did you see yeah, the, I the, missed them. I haven't the seen Pixies? Them yeah, let the me know Pixies. how they are. That's great. I'm sure they'll be great. You like yeah. the Pixies? You two like the Pixies? Really? Yeah, they were a great band. They inspired Nirvana. Mm. Um, they, were, they were way better than everyone thought they were at the time. <laughs> I'll it's have to re-listen. Okay. Uh, yeah, I feel like they were really slept on. Like, I, I've... You know, I grew up with the Pixies, and I when I saw those tickets, I'm like, that's not, I'm not passing that up because mm. I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to see them. So, um, mm. my husband and I, Mr. Raven, uh, our wedding song that we, our first dance song was uh, the Pixies. Really? Yeah. Huh. Cool. Yep. Wow. Okay. Great. I got to go back and listen to them because, you know. I do too. I think it was <laughs> yeah. whatever I was. I remember they came out with an album, and some guy compared it to Sgt. Pepper. Which everyone kind of does, you know what I mean? But I just thought it was a funny thing to compare it to because it just sounded yeah. like a lot of yelling and screaming to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway. the generation. Hey, Matt, you don't have generation. any cats, do you? Do you have any cats? Me? Yes. No, no cats. We're dog people. Dogs. See? See? <laughs> everyone here has you're, cats. You're, you're in the minority here. Yeah. We just had like, you and Mac are it. I'm, I'm both people. 20 minutes about <laughs> cats. <you> know. <laughs> cats are beautiful. No, I'm not against cats. Go ahead. We, we love our dogs. What kind of dogs? Two uh, doodles, the half poodle mixes. Oh. They're really cute. They have the long noses yeah. and the, the funny-looking faces. And they're very intelligent and very weird. Oh, really? Cool. So, yeah. 
Yeah, one of them is a golden doodle, half golden retriever, half oh, leopard doodle. Yeah. And then an Australian shepherd doodle, Aussie doodle. Oh, my oh, <laughs> Aussie doodle. So oh, they great dogs. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, someone um, has bred a um, miniature German shepherd. Did you see that? Miniature German shepherd. No. It's a miniature oh, German shepherd. Yeah, with corgi legs. And yeah. like a, Someone yeah. stole his legs. Like they yeah. did it with like a husky. They, they're doing it with all the big really? dogs. Yeah. And it's, it's literally just a sh- shrunken down version. Right, yeah, of yeah. Regular dog. Yeah, yeah. The dog doesn't know. Yeah. The dog yeah. doesn't just know. can't run. Yeah, it can't run very fast. Yeah, it's got little legs. <clears throat> it's stuck in the snow. So, so you, you toured with the, the, the Queen Band for about a year, right? Yeah, about a year there. Uh, 11 months, I think, or 10 months. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and that was great. You, you loved it? You fell back in love with it type of thing? Yeah, well, I loved it. It was like a miniature version of the 14 years in Counting Crows to say that I loved it for three months or four months. Mm. And then I, I started to miss home and family and, and just being still in one place. Yeah. Like cancer, which I hear is a homebody, mm. you know, and so I'm not. You're I'm a not, water sign? Y- yes. Right. I'm a water sign. Are you? What, what sign are you? I'm a Pisces. I hear that's the most evolved one there. Well, it's, Pisces it's suck. We're awful. <laughs> wow. Was, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, so I just I don't belong out there on the road, even even though it was the perfect situation. I really loved the band. Mm-hmm. They loved me. I loved it. Really good guys. Yeah, they were good so, guys. Yes. Yeah, but I just couldn't do it. I couldn't keep up the pace. Yeah, right, right. Is is, is it um, uh, this one of the Rolling Stones either wrote a book? Uh, his quote was um, five years working, twenty five years hanging around." That's yeah. Charlie Watts. Charlie Watts. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and that was Charlie Watts line. R.I.P. So you could kind of see that in a way. I mean, you know, they were like so huge, but but. You are. Do you spend a typical day just kind of hanging out and waiting for the show, waiting and waiting, waiting for, and then you do it, and then you collapse, and it starts all over again. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of time on a bus, or I guess if you're in the Stones, it's a lot of time in a private plane. Yes. Like they, they would set up a home base in Chicago and fly private to their gigs every day, all around the Midwest. Wow, that's the way to do it. You know, hey, well, like, yeah, why not? Plane back to, you know? <laughs> And then chill out in Jamaica or uh, <laughs> you know, on the day off. Go to the uh, Turks and Caicos, and I'll, you know, <laughs> yeah, it must be nice. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, but, someone uh, has to do it, and they're doing it. You know what I mean? They're they're yeah. they're doing it, and and well, yeah. you saw some of that. You guys toured with the Rolling Stones back in the day. I was going to say that. Yeah, right? yeah we did a few shows. Era. The Voodoo Lounge era. We did uh, all around middle of America, actually Midwest, and that's when I learned about their Chicago home base. Yeah, you know, yeah. We're, mm-hmm. we're driving. We had a nice bus, so I can't complain. But we're we're. Because they, did they night. let you stay there with them, or they're like, "Oh no, no, you gotta go back on your bus." Yeah, no, they didn't. No, they, we couldn't get on. They would fly. <laughs> like if we played in Nashville, they would go fly a private plane back to Chicago that night. Damn. So no, we couldn't get on the plane with them. But what a, what a lifestyle! <laughs> but, you know, yeah, seriously, that had to be wicked yeah. fun. But they were good guys. Were they good guys, or as are they a, just as an outsider looking in? They had to yeah. be wicked fun. Right. Yes, and Mac, they were all really nice people. They were really good people. Yeah. I, I, in fact, I had a feeling that when you're at the mountaintop. It's easy to just be a be decent and right. be nice to people. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They take in, all their opening bands are welcome to come to their their dressing area, which is in stadiums. So it's like a you know size of a house in the backstage area, and they have a snookers table, and we play cool. there. And you know, Ron Wood would come up and help me to to take a shot and show me the right way to do it, and then walk <laughs> away. You know, they, they, just, they just let us into their house. The stones. You know, <laughs> that is very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't have to be a dick because you're really on top of the mountain, mountain like you does. say. You know, you don't have to be yeah. a jerk. Yeah. But some rock yeah. stars are jerks, right? Oh yeah, and, and I've come to realize in life. I, I wish I knew this younger, but if you're a jerk, it means you're hiding something. It means you're mm. hiding your limitations. You're afraid of showing your limitations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, 
it's it's cowardice is what makes people interesting uh, mean you know the, i've had my share of them <laughs> you know the, the story of not to talk to anyone that that you know but the story of the eagles for instance it's turned into a music segment the story of the eagles uh, written from um the guy who wrote hotel california don felder basically yeah. wrote that song and yeah. there's one song i never have to hear that again okay i've heard it once twice that's enough but that's a huge rotation everywhere. Huge song, huge song. And they're a huge band and their greatest yeah. hits is was a huge you know, hit. They thought they were breaking up and all of a sudden. But the yeah. two you know, um, Glenn Fry and um the other guy who's still around. Henley? Yeah, Don, Don Henley just had this thing about it's gonna be us. It's not gonna be these other guys, you know. And they were they were constantly bullying these guys. Don Fry was um really Glenn Fry was really, really bad to their help and their roadies and Making fun of people with disabilities and stuff. There's really, really nasty, nasty stuff. Ew. Because in their mind, the other guys in the band were just one sec away from taking over. You know what I mean? The other guys in the band who were the musicians, let's face it, from taking over. And if you listen to Pond Felder's book, which, you know, was you know, watching all, he said, the last thing I wanted to do was, you know, be Eagles Incorporated. You know, we just wanted to play. And those two guys, every minute of the day, were worrying about this and that and very calculating. It's sad. It was a sad story because he didn't enjoy one minute of it. Uh huh. Yeah, but there's so many types of there's so many ways to be a broken person. And when you get in a band, you're going to be in in there with probably somebody who's in charge might be broken in some way or another. Whether they're a tyrant uh -huh. or a, a narcissist or, or I don't know, even a manic depressive. You know, and I mean, God bless them all for having whatever disease they have to work through. But you have to live with them as your boss for yeah. decades. You know, that's not easy. Yeah. And, and, and does it, does, does it, um, you know, they always say, well, the Beatles just say, you know, when we hated each other, but when we started playing, everything was okay. Does, does playing the show even everything out of, you know, forgive and forget for two hours? Yeah, there's that definite energy that uh, comes from having, you know, 5,000 or 20,000 people yelling at you and happy that you're there. And uh, it pumps up your ego, I guess, you know, so. You spend every night trying to wind down on the bus and mm -hmm. get some sleep, and then every day trying to gear up for the night's concert again, over and over. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Years and years. I've never seen that. You know, Go ahead, Matt, with, with uh, August and everything else on regular airplay with a number of tracks from it, you were competing with a lot of name acts in the, the early 90s and the middle 90s. Uh, what did you think of that intensity with, uh, with the, the amount of... Uh, rising stars that were you know really hitting the alternative airwaves competition yeah, the 90s yeah yeah well the 90s were, were a weird time looking back at it it was the grunge era kind yeah. of coming and in, turning into an americana thing with hootie and the blowfish and counting crows and uh and everyone had their flannels and <laughs> i don't know it's it's yeah, an the, odd time. yeah the smashing pumpkins and yeah. depeche mode oh, but bands so like that uh <laughs> really walked and tool yeah corn yeah, but it got more aggressive with Tool and Corn. Yeah, uh, Blind Melon. I like them. I love Blind, blind Melon. melon. Yeah, uh, they're poor great. Blind Melon. Poor, poor yeah. Blind Melon. Yeah, poor, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but everyone was getting their major label record deals in the nineties. Yes. It was a strange mm. time, you know. And, uh, it was all about radio airplay and being on Saturday Night Live and Letterman and. Uh, so you did Saturday Night Live though. You you played yeah, Saturday Night Live, right? Yeah. And how yeah, long? Sure had, how long had you been in the band when that happened? Uh. I joined the band in the fall of 1990 when it was starting. I, I was one of the co-founders. Mm -hmm. We did Saturday Night Live, I think, in 90, 93, January of 93. Okay, so two years. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah we had finished making our record. We recorded our record in '92, and it was out in the fall. I'm I'm sorry, it was out in the fall of '93, I think, and it was January '94. Mm-hmm. We played Saturday Night Live, and uh, the Saturday Night Live is what really broke the band because it was the record had been out for about five months and had sold a total of forty thousand records. We were going on CD sales back then, okay, and and everyone was thrilled, and the label was like, "This is a good start." Forty thousand. Know, next record, we're going to do some more, and then Saturday Night Live, uh, we played it, and the week later, we had sold a hundred thousand records, and it was like that for the next seven or eight months. Ooh, ooh man, the power of that yeah, show well, is crazy. It's not funny, but it has showcased a lot of bands. Yeah, yeah, it makes or breaks, you know. And, uh, so who smash a woo? How do you find that out? Who, who does? Do they contact you, or does your management, you know? I had this habit of calling the management every week and saying, well, how many sales this week? Yeah, yeah, you were the guy, okay. Yeah, yeah I was obsessed with it. You know, I had a couple other guys did it too, but I, I was I was just curious. It's a smash record, and is it still a smash this week? Yeah, it still, still is. You wow. know, June, March, April, May, still a smash match. It's, still, it's number three. It didn't go to number one, uh, but the second record was released as a number one record. Yeah, really? Was, oh, fuck, yeah. man, holy but cow. it didn't sell as well. It wasn't as classic. Mm-hmm. It's still a really good record. The first album was really, yeah. The first album was really good. That's a good record. Yeah, the first one. Yeah, and you've told me the, kind so of the inside stories some, for some reason. August and everything after. I think yeah. my daughter, you know, my daughter saw you guys uh, okay. with me at the show in Lowell. Ah. Uh-huh. Mm. And uh, the sound, the the house sound guys asked my daughter if if they wanted if she wanted to sit on their riser and watch the show from their vantage point and they, they were they had previously been working directly for the stones we know what that means wow. I, I was talking to them all the time during this during the staging and Go ahead. You know, i told you a million times i was a union guy doing that stuff and uh they had a mosh pit there and allison allison decided uh Thanks for the invite to be on the riser watching the show, but you wanted to participate in the mosh pit. Do you remember yeah, the mosh pit? That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was actually at a show a few weeks ago, and I, I hadn't seen this band in easily 10 years. And I couldn't believe they had two separate mosh pits. Who was I'm it? Like, I, I'm in uh, it was Bayside. I'm actually wearing the T-shirt that I bought there. Bayside? Um, and the name of the band? I'm like, I'm in my 30s. I can't do a mosh pit anymore been there done that and I, I was just standing all the way in the back like watching people and i'm like I, I i couldn't believe people were still moshing i didn't know it was still a thing <laughs> people knew we broken hips and stuff now wow. yeah like if i tried to do it I, i'd be bedridden for a week easily so, so matt I, I saw a youtube video of you and you were playing it had to be some festival there were like fifty five thousand people at this thing was that glastonbury or something it looked like yeah, it looked it, british there's one called Pink Pop that we would do that was really big. That was in Belgium, I think. Where was that? Was that in Brussels or? Okay, uh, yeah, this was big. Yeah. Does, yeah. does that? I mean, do you get? I've asked this before. I mean, do you get stage fright? Do you? Are you anxious before you go on, or what's no, it like? Because you play so many shows, you do it so often that that's the way to conquer any fears. Is just keep doing it over and over, mm-hmm. and and it's a lot like treading water. If you can play in front of, uh, you know, 300 people in a nightclub in Washington, D.C., you can open for 80,000. It's just like if you can tread water in 10 feet of water, you can tread water in 100 feet of water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, wow. play the same show. That's amazing. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and, and yeah. so and, and, and you would so you would play the show, and then uh, were there groupies involved? You can tell us. I was just going to ask that. Okay. <laughs> ESP. Yeah, but they, they were I, – I somehow – I've always been kind of a geek – and so I didn't relate on that way. In fact, I, I was kind of a nervous uh, 
you could stay, say as a rock star or whatever, because when I would meet fans after the show, they'd know my name, they'd be shaking, and mm. can I can I just sign the CD? I would feel bad and give them a hug and say, I'm just a, you know, it's okay, I'm just a geek. Just and, a and then they'd get kind of bummed out, so I'd, I'd learn to try to be impressive a little <laughs> oh, more so really? I wouldn't ruin their impression, <laughs> their idea of what Matt Rowley's like. That's a real, <laughs> <and> crush their, <laughs> their <a> real confession. <laughs> rock star confession. So funny, like, Bumming out the fans. Even, like, that people were, like, bummed out because, like, I, I've gone to see people in, like, um, you know, sometimes they kind of mingle and, you know, mm-hmm. watch the other bands that are on. And, like, I feel like that makes me feel better when mm-hmm. I see that, like, mm-hmm. not, this isn't, like, the way that, like, like quote-unquote human side, which, like, mm-hmm. it sounds terrible, but, like, that's, like, the only way I can, like, explain yeah. it, you know? Yes. Like, I, I just feel, like, good seeing that, like, it, it's, like, a comforting thing to me. Yeah. Yeah, maybe my energy was like so nervous or such so geeky that I, that I was kind of depressed. <laughs> wow, wow. But, but I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit. <laughs> Thanks, Raven. But yeah, I, I, I. So on the whole groupie thing, I kind of sidelined that whole thing. I, I didn't. I wasn't part of it. I don't know what the guys did. Uh, I mean, they. I remember they would. I, like I'm kind of a spiritual type, you know. Uh, like yes. I, I go to India. I'm looking. I'm trying to kickstart some machine in my life and so my attention isn't on how beautiful the bartender was in sweden last night and they would <laughs> oh, be talking about that and, and i feel kind of like an outsider sometimes mm. you know in the band interesting uh, just... focusing, making sure you packed your birkenstocks yes yes exactly oh don't I say that it. oh <laughs> i get it that <laughs> yeah. was a fan i'm bummed up from guns and roses so just a you know a bevy of uh, groupies and i saw some of them uh, I, I, everyone would be 20 feet near them they were Looking at oh. oh my god! Oh, oh man! Delete, delete the S word. It really did. I wow! Saw it. I saw it happen. Wow! I, 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 uh, Guns N' Roses. They, they played Fenway Park. I think last night. Yeah. Okay. Really? I can't oh, really? believe. I don't know who's in it. I would still go and see them for sure. But mm, yeah, me too. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, they were a little overrated, don't you think? Little, little, little bit. <laughs> slash. Fans, so slash. Yes, I'm so glad this turned into like an unexpected music show. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed Guns N' Roses, definitely. Yeah, yeah I would love to go see I them. saw them when they came out with uh, two CDs in a row. Yeah. That era. Um, yeah. I the title of that. Two that CDs back to back. That was the first present yeah. I ever bought Lois, believe it or not. But, really? Um, yeah, I know. So That's a little she's... insight into, into the brain of Mac Maloney. Oh, the, oh, the, the brain of Lois. On vinyl. But oh. guns and poses. Come on. I mean, <laughs> you couldn't watch that their video, you know. And, and they, like, like, see, I don't think the Stones ever, like, did anything outrageous just to do something outrageous. I think they just did it, you know. Same with Keith Moon. Yeah, he, wasn't, he, he was just a nut. He was yeah. just a nut who happened to be a rock star. He was a great player. They seem yeah. to, to me. They seem like there was very kind of calculated cookiness, you know. Yeah, the, the Stones were uh, life altering to see live. Have, have yep. you ever, has everyone yep. seen the Stones? Yeah, we went. Wawan well, and I went yep. about four I years ago. No, There's no way I could afford those tickets. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was expensive. I mean. They yeah, were great. I saw. Uh, was it No Filter? The No yeah. Filter Tour. Yeah. What year was that? That'd be two, 2019. Uh huh. Wow. Jake just came back. He he had postponed stuff for about a month, and then he came back for his hot thing. And they were great. They were – I went – Wawan talked me into it. And, and I remember thinking, well, I mean, someone said, you probably said, if you don't do it now, when are you going to see them, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. and I thought, well, this would be the closest to seeing the Beatles because I never saw the Beatles. So yeah. we went. Right. It was in Gillette Stadium. We're up close. It was, they were great seats. Yeah. And 20 seconds into it, I turned to him and said, they're great. They're just yeah. – they're great. And they were yeah, great. I told Mac, I think you're going to like the show. They, they tend not to mail it in. 
Yeah, they, they yeah. do not mail them right. in. Yeah, that's a good yeah. way to put it. Yeah, yeah, they they were they're an education on on how rock and roll should go. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and the songwriting, like they go into tumbling dice, yep. and and then yeah. you know, like the 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 brass and the backups. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's cool. The, and then the application is so sloppy and beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's care. it's a real yeah. It's a real. I want to exactly. say show. Exactly. It's, it's a, not like a formula formulaic. Uh, yeah, tunes, no. you know, like yeah. it's going to sound like the record. No, right. it doesn't have to no, sound no, like no. the record. It sounds better. It sounds like how it's going to sound. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They exactly. sound different on every show. Well, they show yeah. up and exactly. they play. Exactly, yes. You know, they I, I mean, you, you should be worried if it sounds exactly like the record because that's suspicious. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. like my thoughts. Like when I go to see shows, I expect it to be different and I like that it's different. You well, know, like I yeah. feel like what they just had that video of a. Uh, Cardi B whipping her microphone at somebody. Yeah, that was. She fine. had every right to do it. They threw a friggin' drink at her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. the track kept playing. She. Right. Oh, we're, oh, that sucks. And I'm like, no. Well, that's what's going on. A lot of that is. That like, you know, well, I understand. Like, yeah, she got a drink thrown at her, but they paid money to see her, and she's not really performing. Yeah, that's so that's, that's, that's should be fraudulent. Well, she wasn't she kind of harmonizing with herself. Like the backing track is like a different. It, it's I just mean, like a layered sound. And Taylor Swift does that too. You hit a nerve there. Okay, Taylor Swift. I don't know, but I saw the video and it was like, it was like that Ashley Simpson uh, Saturday yeah, yeah. Night Live. On Saturday, and that was it. Talk about ending your starting careers and ending careers when she. Yeah. Oh, it was so good <laughs> watching that. I heard that she had asked people, like a couple of minutes earlier, to throw water on her because she was hot up on stage, and then she moved to a different part of the stage, and this person threw. A drink at her, so take, take it out of she, glass. First. She had been, <laughs> but she had been asking people to throw water on her. No, she got uh, what supposedly. She I don't know. She got what you wanted. And then when this person did it, they did it. Their timing wasn't great, and they threw it at her when she moved about you know, ten feet down the stage. And then she got pissed off and threw the mic at him. Hmm. Which people go, well, you know, yeah. those people over there did it, and you asked them to do it. And now we were just continuing. Her. So I don't know. Sing, sing, well, sing that, your own song. Like and and what about Taylor Swift's uh, uh, piano playing at Gillette? By, by itself. itself, I mean, it was pouring rain. <laughs> These things I mean, happen. And, you know, I got to give the girl credit. She stood out there in the rain, and it was raining buckets. It wasn't just like a light rain. And she right. stood there for two hours and okay. did her show. And then the next night, same place, you know, her piano started playing itself. Okay. Hey, Matt, let me just <laughs> ask you this. We got about five minutes left. Let me ask you just this question. Wouldn't it be Bill hotter? Check was at, that, at one of the Gillette shows. He talked about it the other day at WEI. What happened was what the, the coach of the Patriots. Oh, he was Bill Belichick. Came to see Taylor Swift. Yeah. he should be in studying the book he, with the rest of the team. He said she was tough. He said that the favorite oh, song that she did was uh, uh, "Calm Down." <laughs> Listen, Matt. Let me just ask you real quick, okay? Because we're running out of time here. <laughs> wouldn't it be harder? Wouldn't it be easier just to get a band that could play the song instead of having to sync up? I, I can see a lot of moving parts when you're when you're you know you when you're lip syncing. Wow. Yeah, playing music, it, it playing music is bliss for a musician, and it's a shame that bands will go up there and lip sync and just pretend. Maybe they're tired, or they're just tired of touring, and they kind of give up and just don't want to put in an effort. But it, to be in the Rolling Stones would be bliss because, like one one said, you don't play anything the same twice. Mm -hmm. You just you just play what you you feel out the stadium and you feel out your beats and yourself and you play what you want and everyone yeah, yeah. trusts that you're not going to suck. Yeah, and I you know the '90s was a bad time for bands because and Counting Crows is responsible for this too, is that we we we'd practice and then go play what we practiced, you know, because if anyone started to do something different, there would be this distrust. Well you can't just explore during uh, uh, performance. Mm, mm. You know, we, we have to you have to play what you practice. And everyone was doing that. Yeah, yeah. There's 
there's a level of bands that always will be doing that. And the, <laughs> the Stones have just blasted out of that box since the 60s. So, so as opposed yeah. to just coming in, coming in and playing what you want to play and playing what you feel, you're, instead yes. you're practicing stuff, practice. Yes. Yeah, you, you, it, it involves a couple of things. You have to not suck. You have to be able to explore and do things that don't suck. Yep. And your mates have to trust you that you're not going to suck. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've done recording sessions with musicians like that. There's a guy named Richard Thompson. Who's like a guitar player? Great guitar player. Yeah. You know about Richard? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I did a recording session with a, a songwriter who died named Emmett Rhodes in LA, and Richard came. And these they were hard songs. They, they were like Beatle chords, and that they they you don't you don't expect that chord. And Richard was going to solo over this, and I showed him the the chord chart, which a musician is like a it's like a map for a musician. Okay. And he didn't want to see it. He just went by ear. Uh. So it was like recording with like John Coltrane or something because it hit me what the level this guy's on. Yeah, it's yeah. Not normal. Yeah, yeah. You, you turn know? on the mics and they go. Yeah. Yeah, and you go, and he, and and everything he played was great. No bad notes. He, he took like five takes, wow. so we could edit them later. And the, it, it just hit me that that's the level that all musicians should strive for. Yeah, nothing less. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. So no, yeah, another reason to like, like the Stones. Being on the stage and like feeling that energy that you're staring at. That's like I've never experienced that, but that has to be like huge. Like that has to impact you in some way. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We opened for the Stones once in Vienna. Uh, this was after the Buddha Lounge tour. This was in 03, because my dad had just died a month before. And we happened to be in Vienna with them, and they had us open a show. And, uh, oh, Mac, is everything okay there? Yeah. Something's yeah, going yeah on. you're good. <laughs> okay, yeah, thanks, Ray. Uh, we opened a show in Vienna for them. And I remember the weather was like, uh, there were like 80,000, 90,000 people and the weather, like thunderstorm came and then it cleared up as the moon came out and the stones came. So it's like you're doing a gig with God is what it felt like, <laughs> you know, the, 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 it's such a vast arena yeah. and uh, the weather behaves for you. It was just amazing. Yeah. I, I can't imagine it. Like, Go ahead. Uh, it was in Vienna. I don't know the, the name of it, but it was in 03, probably uh, Dad died in April, so it was June or July of '03. The Stones were did, did a tour. Mm. And they played in Vienna at one of those months. There, there was a band. Um, who's the band who did uh, photograph? Def Leppard. That would be like a Forty Licks, maybe the Forty Licks tour, because they really? play Fenway. Yeah, they they once again they they toured for a couple of years in a row, which they you know they they don't do that much anymore. But they ended up at uh, Fenway Park too during that era in 2005. They were in Fenway Park. The um. The guy in Def Leppard, when you know, his his um, the drummer had lost his arm in a, in a car accident. Okay, and so Def then Leopard. he right, Leopard, yeah. and and it, it took them about two years to come back, and they basically said to him, you know, we want you to stay. If you can figure out a way to stay, we want you to stay. And he did. He is is you know a lot of electronics involved in his drumming. So when he came back, they were starting a tour, and they decided they weren't going to make a big deal out of it. They were just going to introduce him. You know, as part of the band, halfway through the show, whenever they would do it, you know. But when they walked out on stage, everyone saw this guy. And the guy, I think his lead singer's name is Joe Elliott. He says, it was like 50,000 people turned on their hair dryers. And I just got hit. We just got hit with this, you know, people screaming oh. for this guy, you know. And I thought that was an interesting way of putting it. 50,000 hair dryers. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that like that like electricity almost yeah. like just kind of force. Yeah. 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 And, and, yeah. He, and he didn't know yeah, they, they didn't know, yeah. and probably the drummer himself didn't know that you know people felt this way. You know what I mean? That they felt this way. They thought they were just, they were going to lowball it. You know, but yeah, it turned you know, out. It's an, that's where I also saw that it's a young man's game because I, I don't know if I'm developing a nice anxiety disorder as I get older, but I, there was one show with the Queen band I did last year in Chicago in a little arena that holds about 4,500 people, and they sold it out. 
So 4,500 people came. And when I was backstage, getting a little nervous because me and the keyboardist were talking and realizing it's like we're throwing a party and there's only five of us and 4,500 people have come to our party yeah, and yeah. they're looking at us. Yeah. So what if my pants fall down or I have a booger? Or, you know, like I actually got kind of scared. You yeah. know? When I was younger, I didn't think of any of that. You know, well, it, was, yeah. it wasn't a huge show, but but it was sold out and they were really excited. Yeah, yeah. And it's just five of us. You know? Yeah. I mean, doesn't seem, isn't, I mean, isn't it funny? Like, just my own experience, because like two minutes. I, it's funny for me to think someone buying one of my books. You know what I mean? I, I can't. I can't close my eyes and imagine someone. You know, buying it, and uh-huh. you know, and 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 I'm wondering if it, it's it's almost like the same thing. It, 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 was it hard in the beginning to think, wow, someone is buying tickets to come and see us? Yeah, yeah, and record and paying sales, good too. money for it too. And yeah. also last year with the Queen Band, I learned that I, I'm just not suited to live on the road. I, I don't want to live on the road. Yeah. You know. How about if you had a private jet? Yeah. Maybe I think about it. Okay. Okay. Hey, listen. Makes the monkey dance. Thanks. There you go. That's a good tattoo. Thank you, Matt, for joining us. We really appreciate it. We're going to clap you off and make it sound like fifty thousand people. Thank you, Matt. We really appreciate it. And we're going to wrap up the show. So uh, thank you, uh, Switchy. Thank you, Switchy, for joining us. He has the train wreck. My my pleasure. Al Ronaldo, getaway driver. Thank you. Glad to be here. See you soon. Juan Juan, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Hey, thanks. I'll give you a report from the coma. The pleasure was all mine here to be on the show tonight. See you later. Especially with knowing Matt Maley is going to be on. (laughs) Raven, thank you for joining us, Raven. You made our nights delightful as usual. And we're we're loving the hair. We took a vote behind your back. We love the hair. Again? Yes. That's like the sixth week in a row. That's all right. (laughs) We're perfect. So thank you, you. Raven. We'll talk to you soon. And um, very quickly, Homestead Troops. Homestead Troops is an organization that raises money for our veterans who uh, came home from the Iraqi uh, Afghan law, uh, missing a limb or whatever, they build them houses, especially adapted to their needs. That means uh, low counter space, low tables, very few stairs, things of that nature. And then they build them the house, and once it's built, they rip up the mortgage, they give them the keys, it's their house forever. And they can go out and rejoin society and uh, not have to worry about having a mortgage payment over their uh, heads every month. Homes for our troops, 90%, 99, well, 90 cents of your dollar goes to our veterans. So please Google them, see what they're about, Homes for our troops. And I think that's it, gang. So uh, this is Mac Maloney for... Uh, the entire gang saying, uh, until you hear us next time, be safe, be happy, and bye-bye. <laughs>